as a forward again you only need one chance to ruin his 70 minutes you have to have that mentality all the time I only won ball here you're in trouble again the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors Alright, you're welcome along to Thursday morning's OTBAM. It's Jerno with you all the way through until 10 and we have special guest Kenny Cunningham in studio. Kenny, good morning to you. How are you? Morning lads, all good, I think. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. It was an interesting night last night, On You made the point off air this morning that football is good. Fo- football is uh, objectively an enjoyable thing for us to watch, isn't it? And I'm not even talking about the Champions League at this point. And you don't even need the consequences from the Premier League from last night to look at this week's fixtures and say that game is meaning that game is meaning that game is meaning that game is meaning all but one of the fixtures this weekend in the Premier League have something riding on it for relegation top four or the title race and the one that doesn't is Brighton against Aston Villa which has maybe something riding on it for something else sure Well Burnley are seven points behind Villa at the moment is it, is it completely inconceivable that Villa go into a tailspin that Stephen Gerrard it turns out has feet of clay <laughs> I mean, he's mortal Imagine that would be extraordinary. I like it. Like I, I do think that uh, Brentford and Leeds United are in are in significant trouble. As are Everton. I think uh, weirdly Newcastle, being the team in seventeenth, are the safest of that tranche of teams. I'm not sure if if that's uh, kind of a, a common opinion out there, but it certainly looks to me that Brentford, Leeds, and Everton are, are more vulnerable than them. And Burnley are possibly going to Burnley their way out of this situation once again this season. One of the things that everybody uh, complains about in the show is that we don't tell everybody what happened last night straight off the bat. They wake up, they roll out of bed and they're like, oh, why didn't you just tell me what happened? So we'll tell you what happened. Atletico Madrid, Manchester United drew one all. Benfica and Ajax drew two all in the Champions League. Burnley beat Spurs by a goal to nil in the Premier League. Watford were beaten 4-1 at home by Crystal Palace, the Roy Hodgson derby. And Liverpool beat Leeds 6-0. So it has repercussions, I suspect, for what happens in the off-season for several of those clubs. Uh, let's start with Antonio Conte and Burnley. I don't know if we have the, the audio ready to go or not, but if we, if we don't, we'll get it in a second. Um, Spurs at the weekend were very good, right? When they beat Man yeah. City? Yeah, played very well. Set up really well and, yeah, just ruthless. The opportunities presented themselves. Yeah, the game plan was spot on. Looked as if the players were switched on, really up for a Kane in particular. Highly motivated for obvious reasons. I'd imagine going... Uh, to the Etihad so yeah. you know what I wasn't hugely surprised by the result Well, uh, I know there was that initial reaction oh amazing Spurs have gone there and won but I think it was more so off the back of they lost the previous uh, uh, to a home oh, so they're in a dark place how can they possibly you know pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get a result but invariably that's what that's what happens you, you, you get a response from your players and I just well, think that was unique in terms of like Kane I'm talking about Sons has always fancied his chance and Conte himself going there in terms of really being motivated, in terms of the you know the the setup of the team, the tactical setup of the team, that kind of all came together. I but thought maybe it was the turning of a corner, but it definitely wasn't because last <laughs> night, last night <laughs> they've rammed straight into a brick wall. So, so, so last night you look at that result and you're like, your initial response is okay. Spurs got beaten by Burnley after beating Manchester City. This is the most inevitable result ever. Of course, we all saw this coming. We all weren't getting carried away with Saturday, but we were. We were saying that this was one of the best games in the Premier League season, that Harry Kane's individual performance was one of the best in the Premier League in recent years. And we've got a manager here, and it it wasn't an overreaction, to believe in Antonio Conte, to look at his track record and say, this guy is good at being a football manager. So it isn't the most inevitable result in the world last night, losing to a team in the bottom three. They should absolutely, if they were worth their salt, 
followed up on the result on Saturday night and got all three points away to Burnley last night. I mean, it, 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 this, it, this was not inevitable, Kenny, was it? No, it but I think, though. you think about a, a logical, I mean, Liverpool went there not too uh, long ago. We know the, Liver, the level Liverpool are playing at the moment. They kind of eked one out, didn't they? One nil, clean sheet, and just, just did enough. United had their problems there recently. I can only guess what the weather was like, having seen the game at Burnley last night in terms of that being challenging for Spurs going there as well. And, you know, uh, they're on a decent run at the moment. Deutsch, they're on the up bit of feel good momentum behind them so I think it's too easy to say oh it's who again who could have saw this Burnley turned off the back of the Manchester City I think it was always likely but it is a blow and I think it's very interesting listening to Conte I was just listening to hear his comments after the game well, last we, ha- night. we have some we actually have some we can play this, roll so. in. here he is yeah exactly here's what Antonio Conte some of what he had to say we'll play more of this later because it is fairly interesting yeah, I'm not. Maybe, maybe I'm not so good. Yes, I'm not so good. And uh, I think Tottenham called me to improve the situation. But I'm, I'm too honest. I'm too honest to uh, to close my eyes. You understand? And to continue to tell, okay, but I want to finish my season uh, in this way. And okay, but my salary is uh, is good. No, but I'm not uh, this type of person. I have ambition. I'm a person that I have ambition. I hate lose. And uh, we lost, I repeat, four games in the last five games. And uh, I want to accept this. And I want to try yeah, to, to, to move the situation, also to make assessment with the club. There seems to be some suggestion in the English press this morning that Antonio Conte is deciding whether or not he will stay in the job. This is remarkable. It is really remarkable because anybody else who loses four games in five, they're like, oh, we're going to sack this guy. With Antonio Conte, it's like, maybe I'll sack the club. Mm. It's like, I'm getting paid, I'm getting paid a lot of money, but you know, I'm, I'm too honest. I think there is a degree of honesty to that, though. Um, and we saw a little bit into Milan in the summer in terms of wanting to build on what he achieved there last season and obviously didn't get the kind of... Indi- indication from the board there that they're going to reinvest and they're going to back him to an extent and he was like well that's I'm, I, I, you know, I can't exist in that environment I'm off you know what I mean it has to be not kind of my way but this you know this these, these are not, not, not even so much these are my demands this is what I expect you know if I'm going to bring everybody with we've all got to be together type thing and if anything less what, what what's the point kind of life's too short so I can understand that a little bit but he was very vocal a couple of days ago off the back of the in Manchester City he was really holding up the dressing room wasn't he he was saying look I've been in a lot of dressing rooms but these lads oof, these lads these are monks attitude characters this is what I want I almost forgive anything in terms of lack of individual ability here and there because this group is mm. pretty special so I mean that was, that kind of blew me away a little bit I thought wow because under Nuno early in the season I think he probably could have questioned the character of a couple of those players inside the dressing room in terms of how much they were actually pulling yeah. for the previous margin but yeah he's extolling their virtues in terms of the kind of the character within the confines of the dressing room I thought well that's well, that's that. if you're a sports supporter listen to that you're thinking wow this, we've definitely got something to build on here at least the dressing rooms together you could argue maybe we haven't got enough quality in certain areas of the pitch but the fundamentals are in place Jared. that's what he seemed to be saying but but this is I'm not quite sure what he's what he's saying here it, you know if it's simply is this could you spin this in terms of look the group the attitude's good but just the quality isn't there I need money mm. you need to go and get me four or five top class players is it as simple as that it doesn't qu- quite seem to be as simple as that. is that his roundabout way of saying it I can only do so much 
I'm a good coach but even I can only do so much in terms of with the relative quality in the squad the attitude's great some great personalities but fundamentally uh, if the quality's not there I can only it's, it's, it's difficult to read into what he's saying it is difficult it is difficult and there's obviously a slight language barrier what were you going to say? Well, it, it seems like that's the sort of stuff he could be saying and possibly should be saying like this is very, very dramatic from Conte. I'm not saying that he, he, he shouldn't be dramatic. Maybe the situation is, maybe he's appalled by what he's seen at the club since he's come in there. Maybe he's got every right to be dramatic. But what we're getting as a public is like this angsty teenager who is overreacting to, to every single little bit that's gone wrong in the dressing room. And granted, as I say, a result against Burnley is not a good result. It is a bad result. They've lost to Southampton, they've lost to Wolves, they've lost, lost to Burnley in their last four Premier League fixtures. So things haven't gone well. But when Conte comes out to face the media after things not going well, things get worse. Things get more dramatic. Things get, get uh, more intense. So there's no way this thing lasts beyond, I don't know how long, beyond the end of the season, well into next season at this stage because every little setback that's been had, Conte has taken it very, very badly. And of course that comes from a place of him being a serial winner, right? But and also that is, there's a built-in melodrama with Antonio Conte that is, is his kind of natural expressive way, which is different from previous managers in England who are like yeah. I don't say, think it's put nothing. on lads is it I, no, don't, I don't think, think it's so. kind no, of forced it's, it's, it's not no. for the camera it's just this who is, he is I yeah guess. exactly it's just, it's just coming out we've seen it we've seen it previously you know particularly at Chelsea in terms of how badly it went there and obviously last last year in, in Inter Milan so in some respects I, I have a little bit of respect for that you could argue he's doing the right thing in terms of how he's projecting himself there the effect that's going to have on the dressing that's going to unsettle the dressing room but and I think that's a that's a fair point because you always have to be conscious. I think of the players in the dressing room as a manager when you speak pre post match. You know any kind of media responsibilities. You know the players are watching out, listening. Yeah, so you have it, to it, factor it, that in. But when when it's honesty, when it's pure like honesty and it's coming from from the heart, I've got a little bit of respect for it. So I think I think that's what I'm saying. I just don't know where it's going to end up. Well, that's what I was going to ask. That's the question. That is the sixty four million dollar question. Is he the manager at the start of? At the end of the transfer window, the next transfer window, is he still the manager of Spurs? Well, I think, well, if Daniel Levy, you're watching, <laughs> he doesn't, not too many facial expressions and that, that you see Daniel Levy at the, at the games, but generally there must have been at least raised eyebrows listening to that uh, post-match. So would I, I, would, I would think at some stage, very quickly, he's got to sit down with Antonio Conte. He hasn't done already, Levy, and say, look, I understand your frustration. We all share it. We know where you want to be. We want to be there as well in terms of Spurs competing Champions League and maybe looking beyond that to push to close the gap with the top three. You know, we're, we're all behind you. We all want the same thing. So, what do you need? Is it if is it a financial? How much do you need to spend? What players do you need? How, I'll back you as much as I can. I think fundamentally it's going to come down to that. When you break it all down, really, I think. He he's looking at that squad and thinking this squad can compete at the top end am I prepared to commit myself here for the next two to three year, years with limited investment into the squad and really full of the knowledge that I can't bridge that gap at the top three and really I'm competing for that four Champions League uh, spot at best yeah now but it's it's like in world football it's not a bad job he's going to get paid very well there is a, a possibility that they will invest in the summer that they have a, a proper resource in the stadium that the deck kind of as the stadium starts to fill there's loads of concerts there in the summer they start to begin to have money again this might not be the precise moment you want the job but like after last week when they beat City you're like oh he's going to be able to do something here and at the moment I I, I just am stunned by what he's saying and and maybe there is a a gap in the when he's saying I need to make an assessment 
does he mean he needs to get deeper into the club and check how the youth system is working and the throughput of players or is he like I need to make an assessment whether or not I'm going to stick around yeah, it sounds I, yeah. more like to stick around I don't think he, sh- yeah, he should look too deep into that in terms of oh, I need to make an assessment in terms of the whole structures of the football club I think that's more of an assessment of I need to speak to the, the owner here I need to I need to find out what funds are available in the next two windows for me to reinvest in this squad I think he knows I think there's a level of self-confidence with him I think he knows the qualities which he has he's a very good coach uh, lads, he can he can set up a team, particularly not not just the defensive setup. I think that's too easy to say. Oh, his defensive mentality just sets his team up well defensively. I think he kind of blew that out of the water a little bit uh, uh, into the last two years. If anybody watched that Inter Milan team play the last two years, played some wonderful um, attacking football, actually counter attacking football. He, he managed to accommodate some of the best footballers uh, in Italy in that, in, in that team, Brozovic and. Barella Ericsson, you know, Ericsson, Ericsson went down, I was scratching my head, how, how's he going to get into, how's Conte going to find a place for him in his in his team, but, but he did. So for me, even then, last the last two years, I looked at Conte and thought, you know what, he's, this, he's getting better as a manager, this kind of, you know, defensive mentality, which was kind of, you know, a label kind of uh, put on him for quite some time, it actually doesn't stand up, he's actually becoming better. So I think he, I, for me, I'm a huge fan. He's an absolute top class manager. I think he has an effect. He has had an effect going in there in terms of the structures that he's put in place to kind of tactical setup of the team. I think they're better, and I think the players have drawn a bit of confidence from, uh, from him. Yeah, Jared, in terms of his kind of confidence and his and his pe- his pedigree, and that's a bit of a slight on the players, to be honest with you, because I think a couple have kind of switched off. Yeah, I on think so. Yeah. And I'm a huge. Uh, uh, Nuno fan but I think a few of the players looked at him so I'm not really having him No and they didn't feel like he was there for the long haul and also Harry Kane was having his strop yeah. he was mid-strop like uh, you know so uh, it's not going to be a straight line uh, Now Antonio's mid-strop <laughs> Well that's the thing I mean it, and, and maybe maybe there's a bit of madness there where it's like I'm going to be the one who has this massive reaction afterwards and I question myself in the hope that that gets the response from the players because after that what else has he got he's come in he's ruling with the iron fist is is generally how we hear about this and he got rid of some players very quickly although he complained about the amount of players that left as well which was kind of ironic it was like I'm getting rid of these players because I really don't want them and there's a few others I wanted to get rid of as well but then he goes to the papers sorry he goes to Sky Italia and complains about it It, it's all a bit weird we'll come back to this a little bit later on because I know John Duggan has thoughts on it our resident Spurs fan Uh, but we also want to talk about um, Ralph Ranić and Anthony Alanga here's Ranić talking to Paramount and BT Sport about Alanga who scored the equaliser last night after he came off the bench have a look to be honest on the very first day of training that was the night before the first game against Crystal Palace uh, uh, he was the best player in the training session so I asked my colleagues who is he uh, I, I, I knew his name but I didn't know him at all he had almost left the club at the time on loan to, to another club and I told him after that training session, session, listen, I want to see you here for the next couple of weeks. And yeah, since then, he just has improved. Yeah, he's playing with all the energy that you need for that game. He's extremely fast. He can shoot with both legs, uh, left and right leg. He can also score with, with his head, uh, uh, what he did against uh, Brentford. And uh, yes, it's just fun to see him play. Uh, I wish... Uh, a few other players would take him as an example or like an almost role model I would say not because he's doing everything right but he's just enjoying himself on the pitch and that's what it's all about we know that it, football is an important sport ball game every, and even more so for our supporters or for the media but it's still a ball game and you have to enjoy yourself on the pitch and, and this is what I would wish us to do in the future also when we play them again in a couple of weeks 
Yeah, such a well-run club that they were about to send Anthony Langa out on loan to the championship to uh, get Where, some, wherever his name is. Some time in the man's game. Um, <laughs> well, wherever his name was was meant to go to a club or whatever the name was, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't. It didn't happen. And thank God he stayed. Whatever well, his name is. Well, there's a bit of there is a bit of uh, I came and spotted this thing and he scored this goal and it's all because of me. There's a little bit of that. There's definitely. The post-fact rationalisation by the manager bigging the manager up there. It's like a subtle enough... <laughs> I was nah, the only one been, who could see this guy who the club have obviously had on nah, their books been, for a long time. You've been too cynical, Leger. Yeah. You've been too cynical. I'll, I'll give Randy a bit of credit again in terms of... We're talking about Conte, so projection, he. your post-pre-match. No, but I think he's very honest and quite open in terms of his... Uh, his interviews, you know what I mean? Again, I don't get that bit of a sense of anything, ooh, somebody with a bit of an, an agenda here type thing, or big ego, that type of thing, you know what I mean? I don't get much of a sense of that to give him, you know, you could, you could criticise him to a small extent in terms of performances, etc. since he's come in and where's the club going and the whole sh- uh, shebang. But generally speaking, I think he's actually carried himself uh, quite well. So I'd, I'd take a little bit of issue in terms of your cynical attitude. Towards. I know, I, I'm... I'm, I'm uh, gently trolling him because you speak to the Man United fans and they all really like the fact that he comes in and says we played badly these guys played badly this guy isn't in my team because he won't do what I need him to do today there's a truth about what he's saying and it's yeah. diagnosing all of the issues that Solskjaer would have been like oh they're all great they're all yeah. great Tuchel's a bit the same isn't it I think that's refreshing I think a lot of uh, people I actually enjoy listening to Tuchel uh, speak he's he done it again the, uh, the other night now, very open in terms of you know, hey Thomas, how you could you tell us how you might set up? So yeah, I'll tell you. But flat back front, I'm going to play one holder, two number eights. This is what I expect out of possession. This is what you're going to see when we get possession. I'm going to see plenty of rotation. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And this is like, this is forty minutes before kickoff, and it's real. And and post match the very same. They actually give you an awful lot, maybe too too much. Some people would suggest, but it's actually uh, fascinating to uh, listen to. Now he's. Ranyuk wouldn't be as tackled maybe as Tusha but I think the same the principle's still the same I'm prepared to give you I'm prepared to be open here and be as honest as I, as I kind of can with you He was very honest once again in breaking down his own tactical decisions last <laughs> night he said after 7 minutes we were 1-0 down and the plan was in the dustbin I knew this was not Lindelof's best position at right back for anyone who didn't see the game but uh, when we had Aaron Wambasaka on the ball and Alex Tellez, we had more posi- possession and more assistance from the wings. And then he says, what we played in the first half, I still cannot believe we played without conviction, without aggression. And that is why we were struggling. Is that, is that what you want to hear from your manager, Kenny? That, you know, that acceptance that you know, playing a centre-back at right-back uh, was not the right thing to do? Yeah, I think you can get away, not too often. You can't. <laughs> I don't think you can be constantly rolling up after every single game and say, look, hands up, I've had a shocker there. Again. <laughs> well, that's me. That's Ralph. Let's get it out. Let's get it out there. Let's be honest. Yeah, so I think every every so often you can people suck it up. And uh, and he's right. He got a all scratching our heads a little bit last night. We saw Lindelof, we're talking back three here, but who's going to play the wing back? Then you thought, well, no, it looks like a back four. And there was, I didn't understand the argument. He played well at the weekend, don't get me wrong. Lindelof against uh, Leeds. He had a couple of little forages up the pitch. But I mean, you know. That was that's the exception to the rule. If, if you watch Lindelof play, and we all have the last couple of years. That's not a feature of his game in terms of like drifting into midfield and providing a real kind of cutting edge and attacking uh, threat. So to suddenly think oh, I'll put him at right back and we'll actually get a bit out of him going forward. Also, and also he's going to be uh, rock solid defensively. I really wasn't kind of buying, buying into that, especially when you got someone like Wan Bissaka. If, you, if your mentality is I want I want my best uh, defender 
at right back for the game if you're thinking potentially Thomas Lamar is going to play it over that side of the pitch and it can be my strongest defender there it's it's got to be Wan-Bissaka now Wan-Bissaka has his limitations going forward which is kind of what's holding him back a little bit Yeah. but generally speaking he's very solid defensively his athleticism his speed a couple of times last night Lindelof struggled a little bit Joe Felix dropped his shoulder burst acceleration he struggled a little bit hacked him down got his yellow card and was a bit of a struggle for him so yeah so it was the wrong decision he's 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 held his hand up and his right first half that performance was indirectly I mean I mean, you can't be washing your hands of that to a certain extent I mean that was awful he's gone that's, that's awful for us to have no conviction attitude it was all wrong bum 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 but unfortunately that's the manager exactly you know? and ultimately that's, that's going to you can diagnose the problem but it's not like you're a bystander you sent the team out to play like this they are responding to the <laughs> to the team that you picked and the instructions that you've given them and they're not clear on what, what you were trying to achieve right I don't think it's simple as that either, to be honest, because some of the basic fundamentals there last night, yeah, what people were doing was just like just rubbing me eyes. I mean, uh, Pogba and Fernandez. I mean, it was oh, the amount of the ball they turned over was literally incredible. The amount of times they received the ball and gave it away. Now people say, "Oh, Pogba, typical Pogba." That's not typical Pogba. One of Pogba's greatest strengths is his ability to retain possession and manipulate the ball and, and, and keep possession. Fernandez as well. And I mean, Fernandez has had an erratic season in some respects, but you can generally hang your hat on him in terms of giving the ball at sticks and he makes complete the next uh, next pass. And he couldn't. And those basic fundamentals from those two players, so that's very difficult for me. I find that very difficult to throw that at the manager and say, well, that's your responsibility. I don't really think the tactical setup, what he was asked them, the information he was giving them to a large extent came into play there, Jared. I think those players in particular have to have a look at them, uh, have a look at themselves. But, um, but just when you're about with Manchester United you know, I find just when you're about to throw the towel in and must be the, the case with the majority of Manchester United say, that's it this is it now I'm absolutely I'm fin- finished they suddenly dig deep they done it again the weekend again against Leeds 2-0 down got back to 2-1 you're thinking oh here we go and suddenly they found something they kind of pulled together at Ellen Road at the, at the weekend mm. And found something that last half hour of the game, and they did it again last night. Uh, second half, they started to fight about 10 15 minutes into the second half. You just got a sense of, right, here, here we go, let's roll up our sit- sleeves a little bit when they let's start competing. <laughs> no, I don't think it was, I don't think it was that, uh, that simple, but it just felt slowly, it, it, you know, start winning a few tackles, start winning second balls, and slowly but surely began to pull themselves back into the game. So you'd have to begrudgingly even if you don't admit there's something there there's a bit of that. that's not a dressing room that's totally broken Jer where everybody's you know it's it's all fractured yeah the whole place is fractured I'm all right, Jack you can't you know you can't just I saw that last night and that'd give you a bit of hope Mm. give you some kind of hope going forward as a Manchester United supporter Can I ask is it not a free pass but is it a mitigating factor when you try and go back even 24 hours to previewing this game and Atletico Madrid there's a lot of question marks about what Atletico Madrid are this season where like they've drawn as many games to all more games to all than they've won games 1-0 this, this kind of robust I guess deep uh, defensive line element of, of Atletico Madrid ha- had somewhat changed this season but yet there was an expectation that maybe on a Champions League night against Manchester United they would go back to you know the, the sort of Atletico that beat Liverpool two seasons ago that Ranić himself just wasn't sure and was ultimately proved wrong in his prediction about what way Atletico would set up and that he reacted well when he did realise what version of Atletico would show up is that, is that giving him too much credit 
Yeah, I think so. I didn't see anything in that Manchester United setup last night. Even Lindelof at right back. I'm saying, oh, we thought Lamar to play. I don't. I don't think he did. I didn't get an indicator of that even in terms. Of, it felt to me as if well, Lindelof had a great game at the weekend. I had to keep him in the team. I can. You could easily flip that the other way and say he actually wasn't strong enough in terms of taking the strong decision. Varane's going to come back in, so either Maguire. Or Lindelof has to step out. It's as simple as that. We're, We're going to get to Harry pick. Maguire. Don't worry. Take We're going to get to Harry Maguire, Kenny. <laughs> take your pick between Diallo and Juan Basaka. I've seen it with managers before. The easy decision in those circumstances is to play your more, more, more experienced, the bigger personalities, keep them on the pitch, almost keep them on, on side, which is what he did last night. But I didn't see anything there set up last night that I thought, oh, that's interesting. He's changed that. He's tweaked with that because of what he's going to potentially face. Uh, tonight, I mean, in terms of the setup, it was, it was no different. The front, the midfield too. You couldn't say Pogba and and uh, Fred in uh, central midfield. Fernandez playing off the front as usual, number ten position. Sancho and Rashford off the flanks. Ronaldo there was nothing special. There was nothing unusual. The shape of the team, the personnel. There was no indicators there. Oh, this is interesting. What he's actually doing because potentially what, what's going to come at him from Atletico Madrid. So I don't think there was. I didn't think he overthought it in terms of how Atletico were going to play. Pretty predictable if let go, you know, that kind of high press, high energies, particularly in the early part of the game, first half, that kind of dropped off, second half, and United kind of slowly worked away back into the game. So they, they didn't show me anything in particular uh, at let go in terms of how they played. It was difficult to say, actually, at times they, they kind of morphed a little bit in terms of their formation. At times it looked like a you know, back five, narrow three in midfield and a front two, but you know, that kind of that was almost four, four, two at times as well. They're actually quite uh, flexible in, in terms of how they kind of uh, set up, but they did drop off second half. And, and to be fair to United, they kind of they, they wrestled their way, they kind of dragged their way back into the game. So that was kind of. Impressed. It wasn't the highest quality game, you no. know, in terms of what we were seeing. But well, the, the, if we're talking about high quality headers, though, I mean, the Joao Felix goal was was pretty special as as a heading uh, aficionado yourself, uh, Kenny. I mean, you were probably sitting Very back and you're like, "Wow, Felix, hook this to my veins." What? What? what give, give us a rating out of ten <laughs> on that header. Um, well, considering the only um, league goal that I scored in my f- professional career actually came about as a result of a dying he- uh, diving header. Oh, so well, was, it, was it your dive? No video footage available <laughs> of that. Unfortunately, have to take me. You'll have to take me word of it. Liam Brady against Belgium, or sorry, Frank Stapleton against Belgium in, in '86, kind of diving header. I'd say that was Alan Sunderland the cup final Arsenal. Oh, You'd know yeah. this, Jerry, wouldn't you? Late seventies, way before my time. Legitimately, way before was that my time. Liam heading down the left ball in Wembley? Alan Sunderland was it near post header? Kind of iconic headers. Obviously, we're talking about goals, but this was you're right. This was pretty special because he was literally it was almost had to throw himself at the ball, didn't he? Um, Joe Felix it was a brilliant header. So the time and it just get the accuracy was fantastic. I mean, I, I don't know. If you can always always pick goals apart. I think it's interesting on the goal. He, he gets a little run on 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 Harry Maguire. So it's amazing, really. Maguire, you're saying we're going to talk about him, but it's just unfortunately, it's the way he's made. You can see Joe Felix get that run a split second before him. He's in motion. I think when they were showing the replay of the game last, they freeze it when the ball's being delivered off the foot of Lodi on the left hand side. And if you look at Maguire and Joe Felix, Joe Felix is ju- he's in motion, so his momentum's taking him forward. And Harry Maguire is, at that moment is flat footed, so now immediately he's got it. He's got to change his, his body shape, Maguire, and actually accelerate and try and match Joe Felix. That just can't happen. He can he can shift that he can shift that amount of body weight. Is 
in that in that quick a time that that he needs to do. You know, he needs he either needs to read it earlier and be smarter, step across the player, put himself between the player and, and in the line where he wants to make the run, or actually just recover earlier into the space and actually give himself an extra yard or two start on the player. One of the one or two of those two things has to happen because fundamentally he hasn't got the kind of leg speed, the athleticism no. to deal with that type of run. As great a ball as it was and as great a header as it was. Like I've said to you before, it's never been a goal scorer that couldn't have been uh, defended better. So, just although you couldn't say, oh, McGuire's had a stinker there. No. You know what I mean? Put that in his portfolio, another, his fault, another goal. Yeah, if you've never seen it before, you're thinking amazing goal. But the fact that it kind of uh, encapsulates so much of the issues that Harry Maguire has, it's a, a good example of, of just a little bit that stops him from being a top quality defender. Yeah, no, you're right. He's not perfect. He's fallible. It's as simple as that. He's got his frailties, and he had them when he when he walked in the door at Manchester. And, and the things that we're talking about there have always been there. Yeah, he hasn't but got any better, has he? No, like you. And he nev- no, he'll never. That'll never get any better. That kind of athleticism. No, but good coaching would and experience you would expect the. the oh yeah, you can mitigate against it absolutely. And in terms there's of your, no evidence of the mitigation of his faults in in his career so far at United, is there? Like he hasn't become a better player. He hasn't. For me, I think it's confidence with him. I think he's actually a good reader of the game, Maguire. I think it's what helped him to get to this point to begin with. Because things that we're talking about in terms of lack of athleticism and that kind of speed, I think he recognises that. And to counteract that, I think he actually is. He actually reads the game very well. And if you remember, as far as kind of six months, you could argue year at, at United, we weren't talking a huge amount about this. It was there. There was a couple of small examples of it. We weren't seeing a huge amount of it, probably because of reasons that we're talking about. Because he's clever. Because he drops into this uh, uh, space early, anticipates things, gets players around them. That kind of game intelligence you were talking about. I think he's got a bit of that to him. But unfortunately for me, it's almost a bit of a confidence. Yeah. You know, he's made a few mistakes, high prof- profile. They've been commented on. People are talking about him. That that can't be. I've never had that. That can't be easy. What's to the do. way out for Manchester United and Harry Maguire? How do they how do they get somebody to take him off their hands and look to move on? Because well, it's not it's not a guarantee that'll happen. I mean, I think there's an argument there for we got to keep this fellow. We got to help rebuild his confidence there's still enough there in terms of we know the qualities that he has his football and ability he's pretty dominant in both penalty boxes in terms of early I'm talking we about. call this the fallacy of sunk costs where you try and recover your investment even though uh, you pour more and more money down the hole and it gets it, no, the hole but gets deeper like, yeah but those the, in terms of centre halves in the modern game Jay, the perceptions change like in terms of what, what modern day manager and coaches are looking for back in my day it was like pfft, can you head it, uh, tackle, read the game? Does he organise? Is he a good talker? He can do all these, that. So yeah, yeah. All, all these type of things. But no, but how quick is he over the ground? But, but it was it was all it was defensive. Your tick boxing, real kind of the fundamentals, the building blocks of being a defender. But that, but that conversation changed some time ago. To well, how good is he on the ball? You know, can he step into midfield? Can he be the extra man? Can he break the lines uh, with his passing? You know. You know that yeah. that type of thing became more into the equation. It was more around the discussion in but, terms of this is what uh, we're after in the, in the centre half. So now suddenly the fact that he, he's actually not the quickest thing uh, on two legs, he struggles a little bit in his recovery. Suddenly that's yeah okay, it's a factor. But you know what? It's it's not it's it's not the be end and end all. You know what I mean? Because he'll go and get us half a dozen goals over the course of the season, set pieces. He's actually got to be able to step into midfield and set our attacks uh, uh, off. You know, these type. This so is what you think he he can do that, but well, I he, think he there's just an argument there. It. I don't. I, it's not an argument I'd make. I've got to be honest with you. And so my, your argument, I I think I think would be if we can get something back from 
let's get something back from him and try and find the next player who is actually going to be genuinely potentially world class because he's he, we've seen his ceiling he's as good as he's going to get for us but maybe with a bit yeah. of better coaching some world renowned defensive coach comes in and works with him or a manager comes in and goes yeah you're my guy and he, he steps up to the best level he can be and the very best level he can be is like not a centre back that any of the other top four teams really want yeah and unfortunately for Harry Maguire the, the, the top managers now the, the biggest clubs generally speaking give or take want to play the same way they want to play that high pressing game and to play a high pressing game you need to be able to commit the majority of your team uh, high up the pitch more often than not and you need to be comfortable isolating your two centre halves in 1v1 situations for a fair chunk yeah. of the game you have to have the confidence in your two centre halves uh, to do that and Harry Maguire will never will never be comfortable in that okay. situation so now you have to compromise and now there's a massive knock on effect in terms everywhere of how you, yeah how you actually set you up you can't press <clears throat> exactly now you've got to drop you've got to play more of a lo- lower defensive block because of Harry Maguire you've got to get people around you've got to narrow up your full backs a little bit and that's right. not what, what's happening in yeah, world so football is that too much a, is that too much a price to but I think it probably is right so if you're asking me what I do what Harry Maguire goes out the door and somebody gets as good a deal as much money as you can for him I think somebody will probably pay you 30 35 million for Harry Maguire for the reasons that I'm saying the qualities that he has I'm not yeah. I'm, I'm he's, a, he's a 30 to 35 million yeah. player so I think you, you, you suck it up you take the money and you go and dear you go Newcastle are you interested in talking to us about any of our players we find that they uh, will exceed your expectations uh, particularly if they're very low Harry Maguire is available for 25 million <laughs> No, I think I think you're right. I think that's that's it. You got to get somebody who's going to take them off your hands on a big wage there, you know. So that kind of reduces potentially the pool of clubs who are going to take them on. But that's a big decision for the new manager when he comes in. That's a real big decision. I think you got to make that one quickly. Whether you're going to try and build a team around him, you think he's got those qualities are good enough to build a okay. team and suck up the deficiencies, or no, we go again. Okay, here's what's coming up between now and uh, ten o'clock on the show. OTBM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette, put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. We've obviously been talking with Kenny about the Champions League stuff, and uh, we'll talk about Liverpool in a moment. Our World Cup of Manchester United defenders. This is inspired by Daniel Harrison yesterday's show. We'll talk to you about the sports pages and the sports news between eight thirty and eight thirty-five. John Duggan power ranking for hurling at 8.40 Miguel Flato is a Mexican film director who is in Dublin at the moment with a movie that is screening tonight in the um, Irish Film Festival Dublin Film Festival and uh, at Clifford Wednesday Night Rugby at half past nine to play you out as it looks like Sexton's going to start it, certainly that was the he was out yesterday saying I'm fit and ready to go yeah if you're, if you're doing media the week of the game and then don't start you're either a Seamus Coleman or B you've uh, been screwed over in a, in a, in a different way um, so just just quick tangent here sorry uh, there is no uh, video evidence of your goal online Kenny I've been uh, frantically scrambling it was against Portsmouth in a two-all draw in April 1994 but you did score in the Anglo-Italian Cup as well but unfortunately no evidence of that Kenny Conspiracy. Uh, didn't televise Conspiracy the Anglo-Italian Cup to have a field day with that so you two know. goals not how was that possible how was that possible how was that possible nothing on camera in the age of the internet <laughs> Nothing from April Thank 1994. God. Thank God. But if anybody out there, any Millwall or Portsmouth fans have any footage of that, we would... Uh, Do you want me to describe my goal against uh, yeah. Charlton? Do you want a description of that? Yeah. Believe it or not, Anglo-Italian, tore the yards, screamer, left foot. No way. Left foot. I remember counting the amount of bobbles as it was on its way towards <laughs> it. I counted, <laughs> I counted six before the last bobble took it over the outstretched arm of Bob Boulder it was the Charlton goalkeeper at the time you'll remember and, uh, and trickled into the corner of the net <laughs> oh, look, they all count they all count lads they all count Pretty... did you take many shots 
Like, is this is your efficiency rating unbelievably oh. high? One header on on target, one goal, one shot on target, one goal. I'd say my completion rate is probably about ninety three uh, uh, percent. It has to be. So I probably took about less than. You just needed a manager to put his arm around you. Go, you go for it, Kenny. Every time you take a header, every time you take a shot, it's a goal. Do you know what it was? Oh, I when uh, first few years when I remember being at Millwall and as you do young pros and that in digs and got into the train ground early most days and left lives just. What else, what else was this to do? I wasn't heading down the bookies or the booze was the lads at all. Boozing yeah. or gambling, that was it. But so in get in 90s. early, uh, coaches, bag of balls out, and the forwards would come in. So I'd be, I'd be dragged out. Uh, so uh, shooting, I'd be there smashing balls, calling balls into the top cart, left foot. Kind of, I think I'm putting something funny little way. I think it kind of helped me. Helped me left foot. My left foot was terrible when I went over. Kind of got me a little bit stronger and I just kind of joined in the coach obviously took, obviously felt a bit of sympathy from me like oh Jesus Christ look at this young fella come on over yeah, yeah, cross and whatever it was so now, without talking me set myself up I wasn't obviously Robbie Fowler S contains me finishing but I'd walk off the training pitch and I'd think I can do this yeah I, w- I wouldn't be embarrassed by being out in the forwards you know side foot corner you know back of the net all well and good but come match day <laughs> Nice. Come match day, yeah. Just could never, could never take that in, in, into a game. Never had the kind of well, I, don't, I don't even know what you'd call it. Made confidence, personality. Once I got in, into that and that part of the the pitch, and I used because I played full back. I had to play full back before a few years because I couldn't play centre half. wasn't big enough, strong enough. So they uh, slung me out uh, right back, and I had to learn how to get forward. And so I would get myself into those positions, but always it was. Just couldn't get beyond that kind of hot potato. Always looking for the next to set somebody in, cross a, a sideways pass. Never had that confidence to kind of, well, hold on, you've been doing this. You've been doing this all week on the, on the training ground with the lads. Just couldn't take it in. Whatever it was, the self-confidence thing, I don't, I, I don't know what lack of belief. Or, might have been a bit of those things, maybe subconsciously lurking. Did, did you ever speak to a coach about it? Is like, uh, so in this scenario, <laughs> honestly, because... Kev says He's the same a coach thing. about it. Yeah. About what? About like, so I can do this in training and when I get into a match situation, I can't. No. Because that would have been shown weakness. Co- yeah, no. But no, well, is that not exactly the type of thing now? In retrospect, if you could tip yourself on the shoulder at 16 and go, try it in a match, go and do it. And if, if it screws up, no one's going to say anything to you because they all screw up as well. No, I, I always, as I, as I went through the game... Um, and I came across players, a lot of players, young players with a lot of self confidence. Maybe some players too much are kind of went against them. But generally speaking, I always admired when I saw young players coming through or looking to break through, and they had they were like, you know, they had it in them that bit of confidence, and you know, you couldn't kind of talk them down. And I always used to think, wow, that's I kind of admired that. I thought, wow, I'd... but it's fake in many respects. No, it's not. No, this is just a genuine kids who really kind of backed themselves, and maybe they didn't have, you know, in terms of the individual qualities but that that got them that kind of they got more out of themselves before because they really kind of backed themselves had this inbuilt confidence within, within themselves and I, and looking back I think you're right it probably would have helped to have a little bit more of that probably would have a sports helped. psychologist would have fixed that in like two sessions <laughs> honestly no in retrospect yeah I'm not too sure to be honest with you and, but if and you were a coach right, now if you're coaching now and you're yeah tell- no you're right and I, I'd, if I, if I, had, if I saw a young player I'd like to think as a coach I'd take that that would be my responsibility as a coach. I wouldn't be kind of, 
you know, directing that player necessarily to see a psychologist. I'd see that as my job as a coach in terms of getting into the heads of players. But you're right, if if you got those those kind of people around and you and you think players could benefit, they, those psychologists were coming in, and I saw teammates go in there to those one uh, v one sessions, and I couldn't bring myself. Uh, to do it uh, to be honest with you but I did see players benefit from it whatever it was get them uh, straight in the head and whatever it was whatever they say whatever little indicators pictures that they give them I did see players kind of grow a little bit in that respect and I did see the benefit I had to not begrudgingly but it was almost a case well it's not for me but I can see how this is kind of helping so I'd never talk it down but back of course back in the day it just it just didn't it just didn't happen and I just didn't have it just didn't have it in me to be honest with you Clearly, Very interesting. <laughs> as I was just as described in the uh, my goal scoring record. Yeah, it's because it's it wasn't that like I me. Mean, it just gets brought up so much and uh, unfairly so. But again, we didn't see those two goals. It wouldn't have got brought up so much uh, not scoring goals if we'd seen those two goals. So again, anybody would. And you think Google there. Google wasn't around then? Do you know how to open the satellite coming now? The houses. Yeah, 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 yeah. You couldn't train that on the the old den back. In, it was the old den, was it? But the they both den. the old den, right? Ah, nice. Now, um, Fratton Park. Nice. Port also, also very atmospheric. Oh, great stadium. That'll be. It's, thankfully, that's still around. Um, for how much longer, I don't know. But uh, yeah, yeah. Used to love me football. Atmosphere down there was electric. Really kind of a uh, vocal home support. I think somebody had the bell. Was it one oh, of yeah. they had it? <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Eleven minutes past eight. Kenny, staying with us. We're going to go through the. Uh, the World Cup of Manchester United's greatest ever centre-backs. This is not going back that far. It's only uh, since the Ferguson era. Oh, since the start of football, so like 1992. Okay, perfect. Oh. We have pack show still to come. We'll hear from John Duggan, Mexican filmmaker Michael Flato. We're uh, talking hurling at Willow Callahan, all of that. But uh, Manchester United's centre-back World Cup next. OTB. Right, 14 minutes past eight this morning. Uh, you'll have heard in the ad break there, Sligo Rovers' Emma Hansbury and their club CEO, Colin Feely, who were the guests this week on the Koi Gig Pod with Karen Duggan and Cathy McNamee on this week's episode. You can get the Koi Gig Pod on the OTB Sports Podcast Network. Just search for Koi Gig or get it on the OTB Sports app. That's the easiest place to get us. And it's brought to you every week in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. That full episode is there right now in all the usual spots. You can watch it back on the YouTube channel as well if you want to see it. Now, uh, OTBM brought to you by Gillette. Good morning, start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Owen, this is your baby off the back of a piece that we did with Daniel Harris yesterday. There was a big fight in the ad break there. I had to separate Kenny and Owen from when football started Owen made a, a, a wise crack Kenny did not appreciate it No uh, By the way just the note and everybody watching at home knows this but when Jer says this is your baby he probably thinks that this piece is going to be awful and has already <laughs> a portion of the to hands, somebody else <laughs> Quietly judging you uh, Yeah so, so we're quietly. going with uh, so basically a conversation came up in our piece with Daniel Harris yesterday comparing you know Harry Maguire to defenders during the Ferguson era such as uh, Wes Brown for example uh, Steve Bruce for example Gary Pallister William for example. so we decided to uh, do a World Cup of Manchester United defenders in the uh, Alex Ferguson era basically 90s onwards I mean it's post Paul McGrath basically because we all know that Paul McGrath was uh, waltz home with this so post Paul McGrath Manchester United defenders we've uh, picked a, an arbitrary enough top 16 last 16 let's call it not necessarily the top 16 and we're going to put them head to head until we get Kenny Cunningham's World Cup champion of Manchester United defenders so our first clash in the last 16 this morning Kenny and you can be brief enough with these last 16 games because a couple of them are fairly straightforward 
Nemanja Vidic versus Chris Smalling. Who is the better defender? Who, like, I mean, Smalling's still playing. Now, by the way, we only have like eight minutes for this, so we don't okay, need... Okay, so we do Vidic. need rapid fire then. Yeah. Vidic, okay, Vidic is true. Eric Bai versus David May. 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 Stam versus Mikhail Silvestri. Really? David Stam. May ahead of Eric Bai? Okay. Easy. <laughs> Stam is in. Wes Brown versus Gary You're putting these names up. You're not reacting to what I'm saying. I thought you were going to put the names. We are, we are. It's only about 15 letters. I thought you are prolific on the computer. Oh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't put the names bloody up. Go on, keep going. Wes Brown versus Gary Pallister. Pallister. No. Oh. Easy. No. Easy? Just the easiest quiz show I've ever played. <laughs> this is a good one. Steve Bruce versus Johnny Evans. Oh. Force difficult call. <sighs> Now, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question. Are you talking Johnny Evans in terms of his the length of his duration of his career, or just at that time when he was at Manchester United? Do you know to make it more interesting, we can go duration of career. Who, who had oh, the better? No, you're compli- I actually think you're complicating it. But yeah, I know I'm making it harder. Roll back. Yeah. Roll back. Roll back. No, what I'd say is I, I, was, I, I think it was a big mistake Manchester United made uh, letting Johnny Evans go. I thought the, uh, his partnership with uh, Vidage towards the tail end of Vidage's career there was absolutely outstanding. He was developing into a top-class uh, centre and should have stayed at Manchester. So I'm going to say that. Before, but okay. for the amount of time that he spent there in comparison to Steve Bruce, hmm. I'd have to say Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce, OK. So Steve Bruce wins. I think Johnny Evans is like critically underrated. Has had an excellent career. I don't think he's underrated now I think people be, uh, came to appreciate Jared Leicester how good that he actually was but I don't think people knew it who, who's it came was it Van Gaal who came in and, and, and showed him out the door he had one injury I think it was and he was out quickly I think it was Van Gaal I can't remember I don't think it was David Moyes was it David West, Moyes was it West Brom for yeah. a million and a half but it was a bit, massive mistake massive mistake he came to Sunderland when I was there he was 18 it was, me, it was me last year in football well I was I wasn't playing football to be honest with me last year I don't know what I was playing but <laughs> well, it wasn't a game I loved I was struggling basically is what I'm saying he came in on loan uh, Roy brought him in and within pff, I'd say a week on the training pitch I thought wow this this kid just it's going to be a world beater I thought he was going to be abs- I thought he was going to be Manchester United uh, captain legend yeah the whole the whole shebang I think it could have happened for him. probably think it should have happened for him uh, through no fault of his own Anyway, I'll go with Steve Bruce for the reasons that I'm saying, just okay. restricted to their time at the at the club. Harry Maguire versus Laurent Blanc. Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> Straight away. Straight away. It's Laurent Blanc at Man United. It's not Laurent Blanc like Oh I'm thinking. No, do you know what? Do you know what I'm gonna factor in here? Um <laughs> no, I, yeah. what are, you, are you talking about Laurent Blanc? I'm just saying I'm saying Laurent Blanc at Man United was like a husk of a human being by that stage he was completely washed up and finished that's like, true I, I would have been I'm falling, from, falling for Owens yeah you're right, you're so right. You're I'm getting nostalgic I'm looking at Laurent Blanc at his best no I think you're right and this is Harry Maguire's best is it are we saying Harry Maguire's best at the moment well so here's the thing this is supposed to give us the opportunity to go Harry Maguire versus some of these people but obviously and you fix it so he'd win the first one easily and already we've blown it up now you're right he was past his best Lauren, uh, Lauren uh, Blanc but I remember a couple of the lads of United actually talking I think Roy was one of them to be fair not betraying the confidence saying they love playing with him Blanc even at that stage of his career betray and all the, the big, confidence you want at this stage big, it's over <laughs> and the big thing was um, he just would always want the ball right always always take responsibility get on the ball and play kind of real kind of personality etc but you're right he wasn't at his he wasn't at his best by the time he went to Manchester United but I think that's a tough call even in, in terms of uh, Harry Maguire so we're, we're going Maguire I got Blanc okay so uh, I'm, I in that case in that case in that case if it was Harry Maguire versus Johnny Evans who are you going oh Johnny Evans 
Harry Maguire versus Steve Bruce? Steve Bruce. Okay. Harry Maguire versus Wes Brown. <sighs> Wes Brown, better defender. That's but he is, but he was very limited in terms of ball playing ability and probably needed a big one alongside him because he wasn't as dominant as uh, Harry Maguire in the air and certainly not in both uh, boxes. But in terms of it, like one to one, we're talking about one to one defending your air to pitch, being isolated and have to deal with Wes Brown all day. So it depends which of those attributes you kind of value more. Yeah, I, I mean, suppose. they might have been a reasonable partnership. Yeah. I think that's fair. Wes Brown might have covered for many of the faults that Harry Maguire has. Like that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, but then you're bringing in partnerships. Then the whole, then you're oh, forget it. We don't know where we're heading off, and all all sorts of directions. It's already complicated enough as it is. Ronnie Johnson versus Henning Berg. Johnson. Oh, just that's a that's probably a, a little bit more rounded. And then f- finally in the round of 16 Sorry Ger. People are complaining Wes Brown What about his cross to Ronaldo In the Champions League final Head a goal versus Chelsea that, that there was enough there To suggest that He had the ball playing ability That Maguire has as well Oh no Oh no He hadn't got the ability To, to step forward in possession And you know Break the lines And draw people to him He wasn't as I, mean, I think Maguire is quite exceptional In that respect I mean, a couple of years ago, you looked at him and probably thought there's not too many uh, better than him in that respect. That was what everybody was talking about. It seems to have slowed down. It seems to be very probably haven't seen him telegraphed. Yeah, enough of it. Again, for me, like confidence. That's how confidence when confidence gets drained out, Jared affects every facet of your game. You almost go into your uh, shell a little bit. But he has it in him. He's he's, he showed he showed a less he showed with England. Showed the first year, I'd say, at Manchester United. That kind of those ball carrying qualities which he. Which he has. Oh, he's definitely better than Wes Brown in, in that respect. I'm a massive fan mm. of Wes Brown, but for different reasons. Uh, Victor Lindelof versus Rio Ferdinand is the last clash in our last 16. It's Rio, Ferdinand. it's Rio Ferdinand, isn't it? Good thing I've already literally saved in the graphic before we even asked you for that one. So <laughs> it's a foregone conclusion. That's how you, do, that's how you, that that's how you get ahead of it. So we, we will hopefully have an updated uh, graphic on screen very shortly indeed um, as we move on to... Here we go. Oh, Here Tommy's got go. it. Done, that's actually. what I'm Sorry, after. Tommy's got a nicer graphic done than I do actually. So fair play to him. Uh, okay, quarterfinals. Nemanja Vidic. We're still going, we're ploughing on. We are, of course. All oh, right. That's how World Cup works. I thought we were going to park it for a week. Is no, like FA Cup rounds. There's just a last thing there somewhere. No, no the, there's there's the imminent there's action. Six, na- six yeah. nations they have that br- the, the break weeks, the random break yeah. weeks. Yeah, mm. oh, Nem- straight in. Right, go. Nemanja Vidic versus David May. Vidic, Vidic. Yap Stam versus Gary Pallister. Stam. Steve Bruce versus Laurent Blanc. Bruce. Bruce. Ronnie Johnson versus Rio Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Okay, so we got Ferdinand, Bruce, Stam, Vidic. Is this because you played under Steve Bruce or something? Is there? A, did you play under Steve Bruce? You did, did you? Oh, you managed me at Birmingham. Yeah. Oh, I, I was always a big fan of him as a, a as a player. Right. Okay. He's he's survived much longer in this bracket than I thought he would. He I'll is. Tell you what. In, it's like his managerial career. He's still getting gigs. I. I People underestimate how good he was. He's had that. So. He's got that bit of a Wes Brown reputation. You know, basics, headed, kick it, uh, uh, that type of thing. But he was a far better footballer. I think than uh, some people appreciate. I remember going in at Birmingham and he would have been, it wouldn't be that, it's maybe 38 when he took on the job up there and he was carrying a little bit of, carrying a bit of timber even then. At 30, he was carrying timber like when he, when he, almost when he finished his career. But he he, he's, uh, he'd, um, he joined in the five-a-sides 
on a Friday, which wasn't untypical then. Worst thing you could ever do as a head manager's got away. I, I don't know. Mick was the worst. Kicking players. Mick, Mick, Mick McCarty. Mick was a dip. No, if it's, uh, Steve wouldn't get around uh, kicking players. Mick, Mick was a was a different beast. But but it, what surprised me was his quality on the ball. In, in the five or something, he wasn't running past people, dropping the shoulder and going. No, but but in terms of receiving the ball, walking the ball, being cut, you know, uh, actually took me aback. Right? How good he? Uh, how good he still he could have played then at that stage? No, he could. <laughs> he could have played five or something. Right. He could have played a professional five or something, maybe for the over thirty fives. But but just making the point, he was a better, far better rounded uh, player and, and far better in possession, maybe than some play, uh, people give him credit for. But he played alongside Palliser and Palliser was perceived to be kind of royalty, wasn't it? In yeah. Terms. He glided over the ground very comfortable on the ball and he was like stickers. He was the one getting the like 18 Broken, stitches across yeah. his, his forehead and stick his head in. He was fearless, wasn't he? Like, well, Palliser uh, got all brave. the England captain. He never obviously got any. Yeah, he didn't get any. He was very unfortunate. He was in good company but I think he probably, he was very unfortunate in that respect. Probably deserving of, of more but he was a very, very good all-round player and got everything out of him. What, what I'd say, I think he got everything out of what he had. He, in terms of I wouldn't say natural maybe Tony had some real qualities don't get me wrong but kind of got the, really got kind of got the best out of uh, what he had what was the crack with Mick in the five of sides oh, Mick is just lamp yet that was <laughs> it <laughs> we had a lad we had a lad who came down again up a train confidence we had a lad who came down we took a lad on loan from the Midlands very good uh, footballer clever little operator lads ooh a tasty ooh this, he'll help us boom 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 First week training and five aside mix mix involved. They're playing against each other, and this lad. I'm talking about self confidence. This lad had bags of it, bags of it, and he wasn't like he hadn't 200 games under his belt, just breaking onto the scene. But real, real quality. Still not going to mention his name. So starts starts playing up a bit with Mick because Mick's legs are gone a little bit. As obviously most well, what age was he? That age. Oh, I think it was probably the same. 30, 38. Where's this Sunderland? No, this is Millwall. Millwall. So All right. the ball's getting played up to him and he's like dropping the couple of times, dropped the shot, left Mick a couple of times and then next time the ball's come up, he's kind of dropped it, put it between his legs, give it the away. <laughs> took it <laughs> took it the other side of Mick and for us who had a bit of experience with Mick and those of us who like played along Mick thought, oh, oh no. You could see it coming. It was like a car crash coming. You thought, oh, next ball. Everybody knew it. <laughs> Everybody knew it. And the next ball came to his feet and Mick just whoosh, cleaned him out from behind. You know the classic goal? Oh, yeah. Tackle straight from red. behind. Yeah, he was, he was out. His session was over. Session was over. Physio, the whole shebang. And did, yeah. he, did he make it? Did he play again? Did he play for the team? No, he didn't. I don't think he did, to be honest. I'm not, he didn't like... It wasn't kind of A&E or anything like that, but he literally, literally took him out. <laughs> you got to know your. In fairness, you got to know the pecking order, as, and you know the respect your elders. You know people. That. You just got to know people. <laughs> Forget about the pecking order. <laughs> no people. Yeah, it's good. It's a life lesson there. Uh, we do our semi-finals, and he was the Ireland manager six weeks later. Yeah. Uh, semi-finals here. Um, Nemanja Vidic versus Yapstam. Stam. Oh, that's a big call. Two fantastic. Yeah. Stam. I played against Stam. There was a period when he played for United over a period of a year or two, Stam. We're talking about breaking players down, strengths, kind of weaknesses, but mm. I couldn't find one in Stam. Vidi, to a small extent, maybe you could argue that kind of ball-playing ability, 
like being re- his speed Vidic, Vidic wasn't slow don't get me wrong but he wasn't a speed star either you could argue at times somebody with real kind of pace who isolated him could get the better of him maybe at times if you're nitpicking stand for a period of time at Manchester and I, just, I looked at him and I must have played against him a couple of times and thought I don't know where you go against there's, there's nothing there he was a machine physically tall it's is. He's like a bodybuilder, wasn't he? But he could. We're talking about Maguire, a weight, just can't carry the weight. Yeah. I mean, he, he was huge. He's like a, a cruiserweight boxer, but he could carry the weight and travel at speed as well. Dynamic it, in his movement, everything. It never made sense. The, the, the notion of a falling out with the Neville brothers never made sense for the reason for the transfer. Something else must have happened. Something else yeah, must have happened. Yeah. Because he was so good. And he was still so wasn't good somebody's book. Wasn't it, wasn't it an autobiography? And and Ferguson took a offence. He, he wrote a book, and there was some stuff in the about the. Oh, that room was it about. And he mentioned he yeah. referenced the the Neville brothers, didn't yeah, he? Phil and busy busy seas was the phrase he used about them. Um, right. See, we can't say on a breakfast show, but you you know what it is. Uh, and um, I don't understand how that would be enough for Ferguson. Like Ferguson probably thought the same about some of his players. It was like, yeah, they probably are a bit busy, you know. But that's fine. I want them to be. Mm. It wasn't. It didn't seem like it was that. I take your point. I'd be surprised if it was just that. Though. It's an overreaction. He must have had covered there. He must have felt there was a sense of there's something coming down that I'll just preempt it. This is going to happen anyway. There's a natural evolution. He's going to go because you're right. Because at the level he was at, he was you couldn't you couldn't get near him. You. He, he, you couldn't you couldn't touch him. He was an absolute animal. And I don't mean animal in terms of totally out of control. You know, jump kicking no, people. No, it was, he was totally controlled. Playing, at, he was at, a beast. Yeah, yeah, he was fearsome. It's play, far from an exact science, but um, Yapstam came in at twelfth in the Ballon d'Or voting in ninety nine. Vidic uh, was at sixteen in the two thousand and nine Ballon d'Or voting. So. Maybe that justifies your selection. Oh, there's very little between them. Yeah. Both of them um, outstanding. So Stam gets into the final, and then the other semi-final is Steve Bruce against Rio Ferdinand. Yeah, I've got to give, I've got to give it to Ferdinand. Right. Yeah, I've got to give it to Ferdinand. Just as, yeah, it's all-round game. You had, yeah, yeah, he's Rolls Royce uh, Ferdinand. I, I'm tempted to kind of, yeah. Almost didn't want to involve himself in, in certain aspects of the game. Like some of those centre half there, Wes Brown, Steve Bruce, roll the sleeves up in the trenches, lads. Kind of here we go. Fern almost took a step back and kind of <laughs> took, a, took a step around that. Mm. You know, if you, if you understand what I'm saying, but he almost he didn't need to because his movement, athlete, and he was a very good reader of the game. You know, he's stead on his feet a lot of the time and you know, knock a pass but you can't run me. You know, that 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 type of thing. Read the game well. And again, probably be ahead of his time in terms of his his ability with the ball at his at his feet. Like mm. probably could have played maybe probably could have played midfield for other clubs and stuff, but he was uh yeah, no, I'd have to give it no, I'd have to say Ferdinand. You've created a, a tricky final for yourself, so yap stam against Rio Do you know what? Yeah. I wouldn't have automatically st- <coughs> Uh, Stam, you know, at, at the out- onset, but yeah, I couldn't. I have to I have to put him there in terms of what you've put in front of me. So that's tough. Yeah, I think this is where the argument comes in. You know, you pick Fern and who do you, who are you playing alongside him because it's all about partnerships, isn't it? For me, particularly at centre half, probably as opposed to any other position. You know, centre midfield partnerships, okay, centre forward partnerships to an extent. But that sent half partnership in terms of how they complement each other. You know how they how they work together. The dynamic is absolutely huge in terms of how good uh, that they are. So I think this is an example where if you choose, you almost it almost has to be who who do you put in alongside them. But I think 
at their very best if you're saying at their very best Ferdinand longer at Manchester I wouldn't give to Ferdinand because he was there long that's pretty weak I was there longer at Manchester and I did a you know, higher level of consistency during the time I was there Stan wasn't there uh, as long but I think when they were both at their best at Manchester United oh, it'd be interesting if you, if you spoke to forwards who played against them centre forwards at their peak and you asked some of the best centre forwards who would have troubled you more who would you have struggled up against who would you have thought who would you have peeled on basically during the game and you looked at both of them centre half Stam at his prime and Ferdinand who would you thought I'd peel off I'd peel on him off his shoulder I might have half a chance against this fella that's a tough call mm. I might go with Stam Stam as the winner or Stam as the person you're peeling off no as the winner the winner okay yep Stam is your winner there he is in all his uh, shining glory on, on screen that's from the Champions League final in 99 obviously um, well done a good, good World Cup well completed the Apostam a worthy winner I think um, I that's not going to be popular is it shock I, 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 don't, I don't know about that don't know about that it's not one that would have jumped if you put people on the spot and asked them that question have to think on their feet I'd imagine very low percentage I'm actually a little bit surprised myself that I put up there <laughs> well, there you go um, you with me on that one I, I, Ferdinand had 12 years at United yeah so I'm taking that longevity thing out Jer. yeah I always think that's a little bit weak you know what I mean <laughs> Well, I would you agree think? with you in you some can't instances. Be the overriding, can't be the overriding no, factor to be to be at the club for so long, oh. where there's competition. Yeah, but you've just made you've just yeah, but you've just made the counter argument for me. Why Stam didn't leave there because he was on the slide? No, it doesn't make, any, he doesn't was dro- make he was any dropping, sense. He was dropping out. You it know just, what I mean? So it just doesn't make any sense. So I don't think you can. I don't think you can factor that into the into the argument. Some people Nevels would. aren't so precious that they can't stand up for themselves. They could have just had it out. It, them. it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. They could have tag teamed them, had a row and moved on. <laughs> well, I think you're right. Considering how, say, someone like, like Cantona was dealt with there and everybody's spoken about it there who played with Cantona. Even Ferguson himself, long to himself. Lads all suited and booted. He'd roll in with his, you know, White open ruffled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that he, was the same as Exactly, yeah. yeah. All that type of thing. And people would suck that up. They suffered it because, well, it was Eric. We know the qualities that he has. He makes us better. Well, I think you could make that argument for, for a stamp as well uh, on the opposite end of the pitch at that time when he was at his very best. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think that'd probably always be a, a small mystery. Yeah. All right. It's 8.34 this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can tweet us at Off the Ball AM, or of course, you can uh, WhatsApp us 87 9180 OTBIM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Um, John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. Jar, Owen, and Kenny, how are you doing? Yeah, we're very good. How are you? You're not too bad, thanks. It's a Thursday. It's virtual insanity day, you know, so. Ask John, put him on the spot on straight away. What have we been talking about? Greatest Manchester United central defender oh. in the Alex Ferguson era onwards. Go. Rio Ferdinand. Oh. So it surprised me. Finalists. It doesn't surprise me. It came down to Ferdinand versus Stam, right? And, and essentially what we're asking for is who had the highest height, not who had the longest period of sustained greatness. Who reached the, the level of highest excellence as a defender? Rio Ferdinand, I would say. Good shout, in fairness. I mean, he, he, he was a finalist, John, you know. It was close. Yeah, it was this, close. This is my point. We make up the criteria as we go along. And I, think John's in, I think John would be in the majority in that respect. Well, it was an instinctive answer, lads. So yeah, and I think, I think, I think it's a good bad. answer. It's a good answer. I saw Vidic and Ferdinand play against Tottenham actually in 2007 when Ronaldo was on the wing and it was, it was just, it was world champion football. 
and there was a two to three years there where they were the best in the world and I know Stam around 99 was very um, much uh, the fulcrum and they should never have sold him and uh, obviously the book didn't go down very well but uh, I just think over a longer period of time I think Ferdinand was, 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 was really a huge part of that second or third wave of Ferguson's teams and John's right in what he says if you were to ask me the best partnership during the Ferguson era I'd probably uh, say what yeah what John said mm. Just in terms of that, what we're talking about in terms of partnerships and you know and he, the thing is that the, the, they could have played together and it would have been brilliant as well like um, for a, a long period of time I I I, I think Ferdinand <coughs> made Vidic look really good I'm not saying Vidic wasn't good but like there were weaknesses there were times where Fernando Torres did him mm. and you're like well I didn't see Stam get done like that mm. and look we're splitting hairs we're, we're picking nits as they say John what's going on we've got to talk to you about Antonio Conte is that where you want to start I mean maybe you don't want to start there but that's where we well, should well, start do, uh, just for anybody just joining the show on OTV AM this morning just to go through the news Anthony Alanga two goals in as many games 19 years of age Ralph Rangnick praising him after the one-all draw against Atletico Madrid in Spain last night Paul Pogba was uh, once again inconsistent Victor Lindelof playing on the right of defence wasn't a good decision um, to to employ him there and it didn't really work out and it's going to be really interesting last to see what happens when we've no away goals now because United normally have an away goal to bring to Old Trafford on March the 15th they don't now but I think they'll be happy with that result because once again it was not a a completely 90 minute performance from Manchester United who did improve uh, in the second half against Atletico but Atletico themselves had the players out injured um, so that was a one-all draw Benfica and Ajax a two-all draw Liverpool really hitting their groove now it's in their hands they've now overturned their goal difference deficit against Manchester City and now it's now plus four after the two the 6-0 win over Leeds last night Mo Salah's brought it to 19 goals for the Premier League season with two penalties Sadio Mane with two goals last night as well he's got to 11 Diotta who's injured has got 12 goals this season as well for Liverpool so they're really motoring now they're really in the groove and the Man City game in early April will be absolutely fascinating Watford I think are going down with Norwich uh, we have Watford losing what 4-1 to Crystal Palace Roy Hodgson's former club but I'm just looking at the bottom here I'm just looking at Brentford playing 26 games and 24 points Leeds with 25 games played 23 Everton with 23 games played 22 Newcastle with 24 games played 22 points and Burnley now right back in the hunt to stay up 23 games played 20 points after a 1-0 win over Spurs they were up for it as they are Turf Moor in the rain Ben Mee with a goal and Antonio Conte, here is the quote, I came here to help the club and if the problem could be the coach, I'm ready to go, no problem. And let's hear more now from the Italian. When you lose four games in the last five, five games, it means that uh, you have to make assessment. The club has to make assessment, also to, to speak together and to understand uh, which is the best solution. The players are always the same. In this club, change the, the coaches, but the players are the same. But the result doesn't change. And uh, I repeat, and, uh, I'm too honest to accept this type of situation. And for sure, uh, we'll make assessment with, uh, with the club. The reality that we lost four games in the last five games. And uh, with this uh, situation, and we have to fight for the relegation zone if we continue this way. And I repeat. It will be important for everybody, everybody to understand very well the situation, because uh, uh, for sure you have to make uh, uh, assessment of the club first of all. And uh, I repeat, I'm ever available 
and uh, to the club for uh, every 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 decision and uh, and because I repeat uh, I come here to help the club and uh, but in this moment uh, it's very difficult because uh, I'm not helping the club. That's that's more resigned than the previous clip we played. That's more. I'm ready for any decision the club wants to make. I'm I'm open to that. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Glengarry Glen Ross, folks, which is about lads trying to sell real estate and uh, they're struggling. A lot of them, but Al Pacino is the only one who isn't struggling, and he's just given these um, leads, which is kind of like leads to sell a property by his manager, and he just goes, "Patel, you Patel, you're giving me these leads." These, are, these, these leads are awful. And effectively, it's like Antonio Conte saying, I can't work with what I have here. He was able to do it against Manchester City, but is he able to work with the raw materials he has at Spurs? Because it, it's almost like he just feels, I'm ready to walk out of this situation here. And maybe he hasn't gelled with the ownership and the, and, the, and the leaders of the club. But it's amazing that a guy who's won three league titles, the Juventus, a league title with Chelsea, uh, a league title only last season with Inter Milan, feels that he just wants a jacket in. And now he's an emotional guy. We can see that in the touchline. Maybe in a few a few days he'll have calmed down and have a different view. But it's it's a pretty stark situation for a guy who came into the club in November to be in already. Um, what promises have been made around the summer? We know the the the, the comments that he made to Sky Italia about the transfer dealings uh, in the window, uh, like the two players that were signed already in the team. So it, it, once again, it's illustrative of the fact that he feels like the the, the raw materials outside of Son and Kane are just not good enough. Um, and when yeah. you get the, back, the backing in the summer, because to me, Spurs have not been a, a club to back managers in the last few years. And to, my, my opinion on the, the whole thing, I've already said it in OTBAM before, is the club needs to be sold now. They're great business people, Enoch, Daniel Levy, Joe Lewis, the ultimate owner of the club, but they've won one trophy in 20 years. They're great business people. The stadium is fantastic. They can host NFL games. They can host Champions Cup finals. They've got a great uh, training ground, all that kind of thing. But ultimately, the currency which are judged, as well as you can do in the league under Pochettino, who was the guy who made them punch above their weight with the wage structure they had and they reached a Champions League final. And that's all well and good now. But they regressed seriously since then. If Jose, even though Jose was on the, on the wane, if Antonio Conte, who is a hot, fresh manager at the elite level, can't fix Spurs, then it's not Conte's fault. It's either the player's fault and then there's a recruitment issue on the top of that. And then it's ultimately the owner's fault. The owners have not delivered football results over 20 years. Chelsea have won 18 major trophies since Abramovich took over in 2003 in that period and Arsenal have won nine. But the Arsenal comparison I think is fairer probably than the um, than the Chelsea one given the amount of money that Chelsea pumped in at the start and but, but Chelsea did turn the business into a, a farm where loads of the best young footballers in Europe are connected to Chelsea and they're going to be sustainable into the future without massive investment. Spurs' net spend is quite high over, over recent seasons. It's just that their recruitment has been atrocious. Absolutely. And if you look at the Amazon documentary, I don't know if anybody saw the Spurs' Amazon doc- documentary, it looks absolutely pathetic now. It just looks pathetic. It looks like a club trying to portray themselves as this world brand, and it just isn't there. And I do think the chairman is a great businessman, but I do think he's been too involved in the whole intrigue around negotiations and uh, the transfer deadline day and all that kind of thing. And I don't see enough football expertise, Michael Edwards style or anybody who's at City in the dealings. And you talk about Chelsea there. Gallagher's at Palace. Uh, Broya at Southampton. Levermento, I think, was on the books at Chelsea as well. As you say, all of these top players that could come back now 
and what, what would they be adding to Chelsea under Tuchel? Where like you, like you talked about Atletico Madrid last night, Son Gaz hasn't even got a look at Chelsea. So Tottenham, as I said, how many players would you want to go to war with in a title rush for Spurs, a club that had 86 points in 2017, possibly only Kane and Son? Yeah, I'd yeah, agree with a lot of what you said, John. I think it's as simple uh, as that. I don't think we have to delve too deep into our, you know, almost a little bit cryptic there in terms of what um, Conte is saying. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's a lot more simple than that. And he referenced Nuno there, didn't he? And say, look, uh, it was the same situation with the last manager. You know, same results. They've changed manager, i.e., me. Uh, same, uh, same results. So that's pretty clear in terms. Of, uh, of what he's saying I think it's pretty obvious he's saying this squad isn't good enough he's alluded to that before John initially when he came in didn't he he kind of yeah. tempered expectations didn't he and said oh, we, you can't expect this team to be compete top 6A we are where we are uh, so it, he, he was even throwing those soundboards out early on in terms of we're a mid-table team this is what we are We people have got to accept it and basically saying unless that significant investment comes into the football club you've got to spend the wise I think Jay's right I think money has been squandered there in terms of money that's been spent over the past two or three years in terms of the quality of players who've come in but I think Conte literally is just saying there's got to be you've got to give me significant amounts of money here if you're going to be realistic in terms of making the jump forward that we all want is there and if you're not I'm off okay, is there, is I'm there, not your man is, there, is he looking at the Man United job thinking that, that would be a better job and I could just leave here and get that one in the summer is there a possibility that that's Conte is thinking that. Why, why would why would you know Man United give him the job now? Because he's still he's still you you used the phrase elite manager. He's still an elite manager. He won a league title last season. Uh, he has won a league title in this jurisdiction that they are thinking. And you're like, obviously, it's not our jurisdiction. Before I get all the little bots, uh, do you know what I mean? Like he he is still he is a manager who will come in and make sure that no one is slacking at Manchester United, and he will. Uh, get rid of the dead wood really quickly there'll be a not particularly interesting style of play but it'll be successful he'd be an excellent Man United manager I agree with you absolutely yeah totally and, and and he should get the job but is Richard Arnold who's very close to Woodward actually going to do that and there seems to be a lot of kind of this kind of thinking at United about the use and we're going to bring young players on and um, I don't think United are equipped for the ruthlessness of Conte yeah I agree with you as well John I don't think they'll grab him they didn't, they, he was there he was on a plate served up in a plate wasn't he six months ago and they, they said no thank you I don't think that's going to change now in they the get summer. a new contract yeah and, but I think uh, for me it's like yeah personality and, and all those type of things do play must play a significant part I, I don't understand uh, why for me you've got to push those things aside as a director of football or wherever you are in terms of do you know what I don't like to rub it this fella he actually rubs me up well forget about that Think about his impact in the dressing room. Is he going to rub the players? Or what reaction is he going to get off the players? That's what that's what matters. You know, how is he going to set up the team? Yeah. So th- that's what's got to drive your decision in terms of the new manager. But I don't think it will in United's case, and that's why I think the likes of Pochettino, if it's uh, Ten Hag or whoever it is, they're the they're the managers who are in prime uh, position at the moment for that reason in terms of profile job, how they project themselves, how it's perceived, they uh, manage the modern day players and young players in particular. That's the coffee it's machine amazing in the background. Go on. It, it, yeah, don't even drink it. Um, Pulp Fiction style. It, it's, it's amazing uh, how things can change in a week. Like on Saturday night, even I was doing videos, which is normally <laughs> not, 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 not normally something I would do, like screaming into a camera, uh, to Harry Kane now being worth 150 million quid again, to us building a great new future, to 
hey, waking up it on, is. A, it's on, amazing. A, on a Thursday morning after losing to Burnley <laughs> and it's all despair again. It's 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 maybe not something that's going to be great for my mental health, to be honest. Football, bloody hell. But that's replicated everywhere, isn't it? Bordy you've spoken about there, John, in terms of going back-to-back three in the spin now and all of a sudden it's like the whole landscapes yeah. change. You know, Newcastle was a certain extent as well. Brentford and Leeds are looking at, you know, it's spiralling down and last weekend was a funny weekend for me it was almost like oh my everything was, was all happening you know it, the stars were aligned every game had some importance attached but something was happening in every single game it was significant the goals that were going in the results top end Bart men Champions League the whole the whole shebang it's, it's, that's what it does to you isn't it yeah it's, I, it's got good again <laughs> mm. no question uh, like we're, we're kind of having to chat at the top as well sorry John's got to go but we're at, at the, the top about how brilliant this whole thing looks and I guess Liverpool and uh, dismantling Leeds United last night uh, if we're getting excited about the Premier League just is exactly what you want to see with this title race Premier League is where it's at folks it's mm. absolutely where it's at you're, you're um, dead right though about Daniel Levy right that, that there aren't very few celebrity chief executives of football clubs in the Premier League there are very few people who have as much fame as he has at his club oh that's a stretch Jay. I don't well, agree with that who's in charge at Arsenal who's in charge who's in charge at Chelsea Edu Edu what just won the Super Bowl Edu who you're talking about Daniel Levy as a, as a the Cronkies uh, yeah but the Cronkies are no one knows about who's who's in charge at Liverpool really I think like, the difference John I'm going to ask John at Sport I don't get a sense of Levy this is like a massive ego thing he wants to be up front and centre it's all about him he wants to make himself the story well, I, I think he wants his hands yeah. on he wants to be hands on in terms of every penny that goes in and out of that football club and he wants to get value for money and the best deal every single time a player comes in and out John but I wouldn't go as far as to say oh, it's a massive ego thing that's kind of driving it's all about him would you well if you watch the Amazon documentary you might have a different view on that oh really I'm saying because he's all over the Amazon documentary why is he all over the Amazon documentary because he wants to be a celebrity that's uh, uh, so to, to, to me it, the whole Daniel Levy reputation has been about him driving a hard bargain and Ferguson requiring the root canal and Berbatov transfer and all that kind of thing and that's all goes that's all well and good and you know we're, we're doing things really really efficiently how many trophies have you won in 20 years One. are you going to go for another 20 years of this no I think, I think uh, John, I don't think that's fair either, to be honest with you. I think that's too easy. Yeah, in terms of, you haven't won a trophy in 20 years. You have to kind of, uh, you have to factor in in terms of what, what the player, the managers during that period of time, what they've had to uh, work with in terms of what they've been working against during that period of time. Are you, are you genuinely saying during that period, Tottenham should have won two league championships? Or they should have won well, Champions did. Or Leicester won you can more. talk about domestic competitions. Yeah, you can you can rock up. You can nick a cup here and there. Don't get me wrong, but I don't I don't I don't think you can say Tottenham over the last twenty years. You know they should have been league champs in three or four occasions. No, they no. massively underachieved. You got a bit. I don't think that's fair, John. You can only well, get the no, best out of what yeah. you have available. You only get the best out of what you have available to you. Well, I think winning cups, even if it's FA Cups, does breed a degree of confidence and um, a few future forward looking within a team because I think the whole thing about Tottenham Kenny over the years is that people have seen them as being soft and last night's another example of that Yeah, and that's why they haven't been consistently able to deliver so if you're actually winning trophies you're winning an FA Cup or two you can feel there's momentum there 
and um, I think they had know, a John, didn't they? They had it for a period under Pochettino. That was gone. Yeah, and yeah. That kind of stuff. The squandering, the squandering of that. That was yeah. the time. I agree with you actually totally then. There was a period of time and Pochettino was saying it, wasn't he, to be fair to him. And a couple of people were scratching their heads. What's he talking about? They're flying. They're in the top of the Champions League. He's been a bit downcast and he's talking about he needs well, he this thing's got to change. Yeah. We have to build on this and people are going a bit over the top. There was a little bit of that, John, wasn't there? Oh, he's gone a little bit over the top here. They're in a great position but he was right ultimately, wasn't he, in terms of that's when yeah. the four the you know it, Levy needed to show a little bit of imagination and really back him, and that he was the point where no. they needed to floor it. Now, well, there was a time when they beat Liverpool four one at Wembley, the hammered Liverpool, yeah. and there was a, the case that Spurs were here and Liverpool were here, and then they moved up almost in the opposite direction mm. with each other because Spurs didn't sign a player for eighteen months. Yeah. Only player this time was Lucas Moura. To be fair, they had to build a stadium, uh, and there was a, a some cost to that. But mm. um, Joe Lewis is worth four to five billion, and. Like, ultimately, what is the point of owning a football club to a degree? And, like, we're all, I suppose, um, sometimes blind, and we can always turn a blind eye to, look, we just spent 400 million more than you just to get our trophies. But um, what what is the point of owning it, ultimately? Okay. It's a, 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 a brilliant philosophical question to finish this one. More from John on Saturday afternoon. Our folks. On off the ball on News Hook. And, uh, of course, you can, you can read Virtual Insanity at otbsports.com. Uh, I need to watch that um, Spurs thing. It's not my... I just can't... I can't get into it. Can't get the enthusiasm. I can't uh, get the enthusiasm. The Spurs one was... Uh, you'd laugh at it, like. I mean, it was... Uh, oh, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to watch it. I'm not going to watch yeah. it. Don't I, thought, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was comedy. good but I don't, if I was a Spurs fan I probably wouldn't think it was good put it that way OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors Bobby Dwyer Spurs fan horrendous from Spurs over the past few weeks but Conte's going nowhere he knows where his popularity is in comparison to the board and trying to force their hand Flying Hellfish 99 says I live for JD's movie references sailing over Owen's head Ah, uh, hold on. This morning I was on top of them, but uh, I I don't live for that shit by and large. But today was good. Today was a good day for me. I think you you know what Pulp Fiction is, do you? And I've also seen Glengarry Glen Ross. <gasps> oh, so uh, I've seen right. I've seen both of those movies, uh, both of those niche hip movies that uh, definitely aren't very famous or anything like that. And you know Glengarry Glen Ross is actually a play, right? Yes, I do. No, it's a play, Dad. Good. Uh, Philip Nolan says Blanc and Man United was still better than Maguire. Ooh, I'm not sure. Uh, exactly Jerry Maguire has lost a yard of pace he was painfully slow anyway it's now hitting his confidence Philip Nolan again says Blanc could be a shout for the new manager I don't think so I think Blanc blotted his copybook um, with some uh, racial profiling that is not going to go away and Saragon McKenney McKenney says context sounded almost tearful Man United need new owners not Spurs who have some football people involved United ain't getting Conte Ten Hag is next at Old Trafford I think, I think it's an element of the risk there with Ten Hag I've got to be honest with you I think it's an easy one it's a good it's a good Ajax team he's put together there they're playing some good football they would tick a lot of boxes and in that respect but that's a it's, it's unproved. that's a big massive jump isn't it it's a massive jump from there to Man- Manchester well, United for the reasons that we're talking about yeah, players it, personalities it's the, same, it's the same jump that Man United or that Liverpool made when they hired from Dortmund it was a league winner in a different league although Dortmund's achievement of winning that league versus Bayern Munich is bigger than the achievement of obviously winning for Ajax but turning Ajax into a Champions League quarter-finalist semi-finalist over the last couple of years that's, that should be getting him a big job in world football if no, I, can un- I can understand why, why he's mentioned but still for me from, for me it's still kind of Pochettino for me it's head and shoulders above him okay. if that's the decision it's going to come down to that 
uh, particular decision. Oh, he's won nothing. Oh, I can hear it all. He's won nothing. He's won nothing. He's, he's won a French Cup now, and he's got to win the league this season. <laughs> uh, yeah, and now and suddenly that's changed him. Now suddenly, yeah, but that, that that's my whole point, isn't it? Now suddenly it'll be like because he's won a league, you know, uh, yeah, with PSG. Yeah. Is, is he a different, a far better manager now than he was like four months ago? I don't think so. It's the same manager, isn't he? Yeah. You know, this is what I'm saying. You've got to take that for me uh, with a pinch of salt. His body at work at uh, Spurs during that period of time for me, that's that's what's going to get him the job. Yeah. All right. Manchester United. Okay. Let's move on. 8.55 this morning. This is exciting. Last night, the very first episode of The Hurling Pod dropped former Galway goalkeeper James Skell and Kilkenny's four-time all winning cornerback Paul Murphy. We'll be joining Will O'Callaghan every week to talk hurling. The lads weren't holding back in their first episode, putting a left-field choice top of hurling's power rankings. I've taken a completely different approach. Right? I'm going to hold this present time right now, what I see in front of me since, since the start of the league, right? And my rankings, I have... Galway first. No, I have Wexford first. I have Wexford first, right? Uh, <laughs> and we can debate that, I think. <laughs> right? We can debate that. I have to be kind of sort of tactical here as well. I have Wexford first. A good steam build up, right? I have Cork second. I have uh, Tipperary third. Galway fourth. Watford fifth. So that's right. So I, it's much in the line of the minute, right? That, that's present tense. Now I come back to you next week. That could all change again. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm, I understand the rankings. You can be kind of sidetracked with what, with how impressive Limerick were last year in the championship. Of course you are. New year, let's just go, go afresh. <laughs> so I'm thinking, and give it, give merits to, to the people and the teams for the results they produce in, in, in today. You know. So Paul, go on, rip it there, Paul. <laughs> what are you going to do? I suppose you can look at it and we're approaching it from different angles. I suppose I'm trying to find somewhere in the middle. Like we're talking power rankings. We're talking who's most likely the most powerful teams that are going to have an influence on, on, the, on the year as a whole. You have to take last year into consideration. Again, what we're looking at this year, like me, for me, Limerick stay on top. Like again, if you want to go on form, yeah, grand, but that's what the league table is there for to tell you who's on form. If we're talking overall who I think is in control of this year, I would be saying Limerick at the moment. I think Watford, myself at the moment, are most likely, I mean, Cork didn't lay a hand on them in the All-Ireland final. I suppose it'd be easy to call Cork, but who gave them the hardest game? You have to go with Watford. And again, Watford hurling without the Ballygunner lads are putting in savage performances. You know, Ballygunner lads come back in absolutely flying form. I think you could blow any Bolstrom. This thing is tricky enough then, so like that'd be one and two for me. I think for the next three, it, it is quite tricky then. Um, I suppose Cork people won't like me that I'm, that I'm sliding them right down but I'd actually go a Galway Wexford uh, three and four again just because of the results they've had and that is more so on the moment of what we're seeing at the moment but based on okay Galway had a bad year last year and some people might criticise me that I have Limerick on top but Galway had a bad year last year but again just what I'm seeing with Galway with the St Thomas's lads as well who would you know a last gasp goal against TJ otherwise they would have been in the Ireland final you know um likes of Finton Burke coming back and just hurling absolutely remarkably. From what I'm seeing from Galway and the big scores, I'm putting Galway three. I'll be putting Wexford in four in fairness to them. Like two big results there. Again, like we said, they look even like rejuvenated. They didn't look like they were out on their feet last year, but they look rejuvenated again um, under Darry Egan. And then look, I think after that, I might just let, not, not that I'll let Cork slip into fifth, but look, again, they had one match against Clare, where in fairness, they racked up a huge score. A bit of a dead rubber against Offaly that you couldn't tell a whole lot from. So I suppose for me anyway, once you get down to fifth, sixth, seventh, it kind of gets a little bit blurred there. But look, like I said, I think it's Limerick, Watford, Galway, Wexford at the moment for me. All right, Will Callan is with us. Will, that's exciting. Congratulations. 
Great. It won't be midweek for most weeks. We just wanted to get a kind of a taking stock of the league so far and look at the first couple of round of fixtures, get that out midweek this week. It's going to be Monday evenings for the audio pod and then kind of Tuesday lunchtime uh, for the video pod, which means that you'll have a chance to listen to the hurling on Monday before the football pod comes around on Tuesday. Look, so you got to get a healthy in there first. Rivalry, there you but go. But it means you got a chance to uh, get your hurling analysis first. There you go. They've uh, they've set the bar pretty high, but you guys are going to clear it. No problems. Come here. Um, so I like James Cahill's. That's the power rankings today. If we're playing all on a final today, that's my power rankings. I like that as opposed to Owen with his made up criteria where one week it's one thing and another week it's like, I could, oh, I mean, I'm going back to 1984 <laughs> when I remember <laughs> Mikey Sheehy's fisted like, goal I mean, against he, Tyrone. And the, oh, that was 85, was it? Whatever. I don't know. I, I wouldn't trust you to get anything correct anyway because, I mean, you're, people who watch this show every day talk, know that you talk an absolute load of nonsense and know that you would have come at me this week over overreacting to Donegal's bad results, their most recent results, their current form, the game you're at. overreacting the game to you're at. literally last weekend. Yeah. But I'm just saying that... Well, I was saying what? What's your, what's your argument? Come on. Well, who, who are you... Uh, you've had the, you had the Dubs number one for, for like, forever, until, until, until they lost. Until, uh, until now, which is current form, yeah. They were number one when they were good at that current time. Well, who are your rankings? What are, what are your official rankings? Well, look, you heard Skehel say there, before we give him too much credit on going with an absolute hot take on what's happened on the first two weeks, that he was tactically picking. Like, his number one pick, Wexford, who are they playing this weekend? They go to play Galway. He's putting all the pressure onto uh, Wexford after two good results before they go to Salt Hill. So he can turn around next week. I've no doubt if Galway win on Sunday, where Skehel can go, well, Galway have just beat the number one ranked team, so Galway have to go to the very top. So Galway were a jumper. I'll work my way through the um, from 24 Did down. Did you have so Galway 12th? Was that was that? Where they started? No, oh, no, no. Pre-season they started off in ninth preseason. Ninth. And yeah, spoilers, they're going up a bit now at this stage. I did enjoy, though, Ger, that two people tweeted me pretty much on the full-time whistle between Limerick and Galway at the Gaelic grounds last Saturday week. That just goes to show what matters. It's not your team beating Limerick on the day. It's a chance to stick it to the person who put your team down in the power rankings at oh, the yeah. start. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's all that matters. There, look, they're going up the table. We'll get to that in a second. So um, here we go from 24. So Sligo have had a pretty disappointing start in Division 2B. They've lost their first two games, so they're down to 24th. London are a new end entry but they get green on the rankings because they've got a win against Mayo last time out they've got a win and a draw so far Mayo just above them in 22nd place Um, they've got just one point from their first two games but I still think that they're a little bit better than London even though they lost that fixture just before the break came around Donegal who are currently joined top in Division 2A or Division 2B have started the season really well two wins from two and they have to as a result of that bump up to 21st place and 23rd Wicklow have had just a win and a draw so far this season but I'm keeping them in 20th position which brings us around to 19th then which is Kildare who are going to be boosted by their nice players coming back in after their All-Ireland Club intermediate success so they should improve but they've lost their first two matches in a Division 2A that looks incredibly difficult to call after the results last week. More about that none when we talk about Carlo. Mead beat Kildare on the opening weekend. They've got a huge game this coming Sunday in Trim against their neighbours Westmead where they could derail Westmead's chances of going back up to Division 1 but Mead stay in 18th position. Then I'm looking at Down and Carlo are going to swap places here. Carlo got a huge victory last time out. They had a poor start against Down but they beat Westmead which has blown the second flight uh, wide open. It's very difficult to see who's going to come out of Division 2A after that victory for Carlo, and they've given them a ch- themselves a chance now to finish in the top two. We then get into the top 14 here. I'm unchanged for the next three entries. 
Uh, Kerry, who lost to Westmead in the first round, but bounced back with a victory last time out, staying 14th. Offaly have lost their first two games since going up to Division 1A and were very heavily beaten by Cork. The game was over after 15 minutes when they conceded three goals last time out, but they stayed just above the two A teams in 13th place. Westmead, disappointing result against Carlo, but they're in 12th position. The team on the slide in 11th are Leash, and that's because of the nature of the defeats that have taken place, uh, particularly in the last round of games. So Leash conceded seven goals against Waterford, and like if you're conceding over 50 scores within a game, albeit against a Waterford team who can open up against most teams, really disappointing for Cheddar Plunkett's side from a defensive point of view, and we'll see how they get on against the Kilkenny team who could be welcoming back the two last young hurlers of the year for the game at Nolan Park this weekend Antrim were beaten by Dublin in Corrigan Park but again have shown that's going to be an incredibly difficult place to go they got two wins there last year ran teams close in the other games that they didn't win in Corrigan Park over the last few years and you go to Belfast you're going to get a game Dublin came out with the victory but Antrim ran them all the way so given the way that Antrim played against Kilkenny and played against Dublin I've bumped them up ahead of Leash into 10th position the fallers then in 9th place you've got Clare falling down after two defeats lost out to Wexford Clare supporters will point out to me they've lost to Wexford in the league a few times recently and then beat them in championship so maybe they'll feel if they meet later this year they'll be in a better place we spoke about Galvin's retirement Tony Kelly, the good news, there were pictures of him taking part in the warm-up ahead of that Wexford game, so it can't be too long before their key player comes back in. But for now, Clare dropped down to ninth place, and that's largely due to the bump we're going to see from Galway in a moment. I put Kilkenny into eighth. There's not a huge amount between this middle bracket, as we've discussed a few times. Kilkenny lost out in a game that was level, I think, on eight different occasions against the rivals Tipperary last time out. TJ Reid is on his honeymoon, so he's not going to be back for a few weeks. They're going to have to deal without him probably until the next break. But they will be getting Adrian Mullen and own Cody coming back into their team which should boost them and they've got a fixture this weekend which they should win against Leash but for now Kilkenny are in 8th place couldn't drop Wexford after winning two games in a row impressive start having beaten Limerick backing that up by going to Ennis just before the break and beating Clare we keep Dublin in 6th position again they had their draw against Waterford in week 1 edged out the game against Antrim last time out Tipperary have won their first two games maybe not all that impressively we spoke about it in the hurling pod they're definitely moving towards a more possession based hurling game than probably what they played in 2019 still they have to work out two big absences with the Mars retirements over the off season but Tipperary getting the job done last time out against Kilkenny the big movers Galway no great surprise here I think after the game against Limerick lads they showed that they are a team come on who have got everything that can actually beat Limerick this summer. Yeah. Again, they've so, shown that they're so, a bad matchup for Limerick. Uh, where, what, where, what, where, so, where were they last week? So they were in, I think, eighth position last week. So they've jumped up four places. And I, I think... Totally Why are Cork America. second here? Why are Cork second here? Cork got annihilated in the All-Ireland final last year. Have shown nothing since, really, because they haven't had the opportunity to, but they got annihilated. They're not the second best team in the country. Galway are now... Here. You're going to find out exactly where Cork are this weekend, Ger, when they go and play Limerick in a repeat of the All-Ireland Final. And I agree with you, and Paul Murphy said it within the clip that we played a few minutes ago as well. Cork didn't lay a glove on Limerick last year in the meetings between the two sides. Cork are possibly have got an argument for saying that they're the best of the rest based on what they've done over the last year and a bit. But until they actually go out and do what Wexford or Galway have done to Limerick, they could well be on the slide, I think, when we do the hurling rankings next week. So this is a big test for them this weekend. I think they've and been again, grandfathered in on reputation rather yeah, than anything possibly. else. Possibly. But look, you can't take away from their first two fixtures either. Like, they ran up a huge scoreline against Clara Porky Cueve in the first game. And I kind of almost write off the Offaly result given that they opened up in that fixture. But again, they won their two games. And so as a result, I wasn't going to drop them because of that. I think... 
I think this is a good. That's why these power rankings are hard. You've got to drop teams who are winning sometimes. Yeah, you do. And look, some teams who've won have gone down a place or who've sat stagnant despite the fact that they picked up two victories. But I wasn't going to put Galway directly into number two, which was, look, it was a temptation after the game against Limerick because they hurled so well, uh, particularly in that final quarter. You can't but be impressed with going into the home of the All-Ireland Champions, even if you take the different caveats that are there, Garrod Hegarty being sent off, the fact that Keane Lynch wasn't available for Limerick, that Limerick appeared to have started a little bit slowly in their first two games. Uh, and At the same time, yeah. give Galway all the credit. And this, this is why I really hope that they meet this summer in the Championship. It's not nailed on because of the way the provincial system is set up this year, but I would love to see an All-Ireland semi-final or final between Galway and Limerick, see them go toe-to-toe, and let's see how this Galway team develops as the year goes on. OK. I, I do also buy uh, Paul Murphy's point about... Waterford putting it up to Limerick more than anybody else last year although that first half Tipperary so I, I, I do think that Cork are behind Tip and Cork are behind Waterford and Cork are behind Galway so I'd have Cork fifth at this stage at best Well it could well be fifth next week if they take a hammering against Limerick this weekend but we'll right. see again that's the real litmus test about where they are I think Waterford lads they're going to benefit massively from the Ballygunner players that come back in on the back of a first ever All-Ireland Club success for a Waterford team it's going to add a little bit of extra firepower to them as well and I would agree I think there's a very good chance that Waterford are going to be towards the top of these power rankings when we discuss them next week I didn't take the temptation that Skell had to just bump Limerick right down I think Limerick will have no concern after not winning their first three games no, last they won't. year they won't but at the same time it's, it's a snapshot of where we are right now isn't that right on? absolutely the current is all that matters well, good stuff. Congratulations Cheers, on the Harding Pod. Um, and it'll drop next Monday evening, so make sure you are subscribed to the OTBGA feed for that. You can also subscribe to the Harding Pod feed itself to make sure that you don't miss it and uh, turn on automatic downloads and it'll all be seamless for you. It is eight minutes past nine. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Joe Malloy meeting Gerlach Nan. Leaders' questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel is when GA meets basketball at four. And OTB Gold is the story of Wexford's 1956 team with two teammates uh, from that, uh, Art Foley and Ned Wheeler at seven o'clock tonight. The show is live with Nathan and John Giles and plenty of reaction to everything that's going on, including uh, live updates on a relatively interesting night of Europa League action, Napoli and Barcelona, uh, very delicately poised at the moment. This evening, around about six o'clock in the Lighthouse Cinema at the Dublin International Film Festival, a movie called Vapor Diego will screen, and I'm delighted to say Miguel Flato, the director, is with us in studio this morning. Good morning to you. How are you getting on? Hi, Ger. Nice to see you, man. Welcome, Thanks for the invite. Welcome to Dublin. Um, how important is it when you bring a movie to a film festival? Like, what, What's that experience actually like for you? Because it's uh, your life's work for the last couple of years and then you're in a room and you're watching the screen and watching the audience to see, are they laughing yeah. at the right bits? Are they crying at the right bits? <laughs> um, I'm still fairly new at this. So this is like my second festival. We debuted at the Morelia Film Festival, which is kind of like the biggest one in Latin America, probably. Um, so that was quite the experience. So still kind of getting used to it and the whole experience. But... Um, it matters a lot because you can get a lot of free press. Uh, sometimes, like, the, the front end of the festivals are, like, you know, the red carpet and the pictures, and the back end are, like, film markets. So sometimes, depends on the festival. This is a smaller festival, I guess, but for the bigger festivals, like Toronto, Con, there's, all, like, Netflix and Sony and Amazon and all these distributors the will, will, come and, movie. will come and buy all the independent movies. Right. Um, and, yeah, th- there's different components to that. But So what what is your hope for this film? How do, how do you make sure that as many people see it as possible? What? Exactly. Well, one of them is like being here and actually figures like the canning. <laughs> um, so all of, the, all, all of the press helps really because now we're in the process of distribution sales. So we have a, a sales agency called Field Content, I think it's a Spanish uh, agency. 
And so we're just trying to build up as much support and publicity for the film so that this, the sales and the distribution is an easier process. Okay, okay. So that, that all makes sense. The, uh, the movie is... It, it's a football movie, but it's obviously not a football movie. But uh-huh. it is a football movie. Yeah. So um, why make a sports film? Uh, I mean, I played a lot of soccer back in my day. Uh, I played semi-pro. I almost got got a, uh, to the pro level, but then I injured my knee, uh, my knee ligament. So a little bit like the character in the film. Uh, and then when I was, uh, then I went to went to the United States to study and everything. But while I was there, I kept thinking like, what happened to all my friends? I don't know how it works here, but when you're in Mexico, you kind of basically have to drop out of school to to pursue the dream because you start training during the day and during the night. Um, and so you really have to sacrifice everything. And the odds of you really making it are like, I don't know, one in a million. So I kept thinking, like, what happened to all my friends that didn't make it, clearly, because I didn't hear about any of them, um, and which is really the lives of thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of Mexicans and I'm sure, like, just the case of many players around the world. Mm. Um, so I just, the idea was just really exploring those lives after nobody, after you don't achieve the dream, which is <laughs> most likely. I think that's particularly apt from an Irish uh, context because that's conversations we've had for quite some time over the years. Young Irish players, 15, 16, being poached traditionally by the bigger clubs in England, mm-hmm. dropping their education, um, which would have been the case 15, 16, and just you know chasing the dream in England. And like you suggested, the percentage of people who succeed in that environment is very small. And the ones who do succeed get all the headlines, the contracts, profile, and we all, you know, we know about them. We kind of share their experiences. They travel through football, but the ones that don't, we don't, we don't hear their stories. Maybe last few years we've heard a little bit more. They've got a little bit more exposure. The players who didn't meet it and came back to Dublin, to Ireland, had a very difficult time. And Miguel really kind of struggled. Yeah. Fell out of love with uh, football. Became angry, disillusioned, and that affected all aspects that are their kind of life, how they live kind of going forward after that. Yeah. You said that the, you're, you had a, an injury that was similar to the character in the film. Are you drawing a lot from your own experiences when you write this thing? I mean, you kind of, when you write anything, I guess inevitably it just kind of slips into it. Um, I tried not to, but uh, yeah, I think it is a, a fictional story, but inevitably just kind of, you know, filter a little bit of the elements that will make the, the protagonist more real. But I wouldn't say it's based on me. Yeah. Mm. What, Just, what sort of experiences did you draw on them when you when you were writing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely played with a lot of these the guys. Even some of like my intention was that I wanted to show soccer how like the way it hasn't been filmed before. Mm. For me, when I see soccer films, and it was a big question I asked, like, why aren't there that many good soccer films? Mm. And I realized it's because it's very it's a very difficult. Uh, sport to film, yeah, especially the classical eleven versus eleven because it's just it's kind of slow. The scores are one zero, two one. Too many players to develop individually. So what I realized is I There's nothing wrong with zero zero. <laughs> that's the, the fourth thing we're going to fall out over. <laughs> so what I realized I is uh, reducing it to like seven seven v seven aside, and then it turns a lot more dynamic. The scores are higher. You can develop each character individually, and that was that's kind of like filming saga, I mean, uh, basketball or hockey, of which there's many good films. Mm. So I think that was kind of my insight. And with that in mind, I really wanted to uh, cast soccer players first and turn them into actors, as opposed to do the opposite, which is, I, I think, probably harder to teach an actor to play soccer at the level that I wanted to show it. Right. So I wanted to film with like a wider lens, you know, longer shots, and you can tell, like, just not, not that edited. I wanted to show that the players could actually play. Yeah. Um, so I think you like if you like soccer, you see the film. If you like, you'd probably be like, oh, I've never seen a soccer film that way. 
Yeah. Exactly. We actually had that conversation outside this morning. That it's the one of the most striking parts of it is that the actual sport in it is really accurate, and like it's it seems like a, a pretty straightforward thing to say. But as you know yourself, I mean, getting football right on the screen is really tough. It's not that so, easy. Yeah. So did you consider going 11 aside on this uh, when you were writing it? Or were you thinking to yourself, a smaller scale thing would be much easier to be authentic? Yeah, I, I was doing some, when I was doing some prep, I was like, oh, filming 11-11 is basically impossible. So I kind of modified the script to be, and immediately everything just turned easier. You have to cast less people. Uh, just lowers it, lowers your costs, and yeah, just the visual aspect just immediately made a lot more sense. So that was, I feel like, an, an insight because I don't think that's that many films with like five a, five aside or seven aside, and it just makes a lot more sense visually. Can, can footballers act? Was that your general finding? Yeah, well, that was that's a big question, badly, isn't it? Badly, generally. <laughs> hang on, yeah, hang on. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't it's, know. It's, it's, <laughs> into football, it's like, oh, I'm really badly injured. So. <laughs> Some say they have a life practice for it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, that was one of the challenges because I definitely got like real soccer players that some of them even played at a pro level were now retired, um, or some that were very close. Like everybody at least played uh, sufficiently well enough. Um, and then yeah, we 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 got them through like an intensive you know drama acting workshop, all of them, and uh, it was a process. But I think I'm pretty happy with the end of result. Yeah, should have had me CV in. <laughs> she <laughs> sent it. it Slipped through the net. Yeah. Uh, so when you're actually uh, filming the, I guess the, the seven aside scenes, can you talk us through like the, the technical aspects of it? Because I guess the the actual behind the scenes element of all this is really interesting as well. Yeah, well, uh, I don't think if you see the film, you realize that the whole thing was shot on an iPhone 11. Uh, back then, it was the the most modern iPhone, um, and and that's yeah, I guess like the phones are so advanced. <laughs> Maybe can not that one. This was, <laughs> was a little bit shabby, but. <laughs> but uh, yeah, preaching to the converted. <laughs> but definitely for the for the soccer, it made a lot of sense. It just it, it facilitated a lot of the shots that w- wouldn't be otherwise possible. Because like DDP was literally on in the field, just running after the players, running at top speed, and we de- did use like an additional stabilizer. Like the iPhone already stabilizes pretty well internally. So it's a gimbal, the handheld. Side. Yeah, it has a gimbal. I think it was like a um, a movie, I think. And like the DP is just running straight ahead. Uh, full speed and it just looks clean. Yeah, so uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so that that helped a lot as well. Is there instructions for what should happen on the field of play, or do you just kind of let it play out? And yeah, we did we did like a, a mixture. Like at some point, we did get like I would, like the, the, the for the games, I would go to one team and be like, "Oh, this guy said something about you." So just trying to rile them up. Right. And we were like, "Okay, we're going to play like 50 minutes top, just like real game top uh, top intensity." And you can't do that forever because you just wipe out your actors. So we do that, and then we would like do a little bit of something like more um, choreographed that I would choreograph because I just I feel like I just I was able to, um, and then that would take a while actually because we have to do it once and then and twice. Um, what well, and when you say uh, choreograph, what do you mean in, in particular? Or just one particular shot, one scene, two players, and you dictate this is what I right, exactly. want to see. Exactly, re- you'll receive the ball. You kind of have to run here. Right. Then yeah, yeah like yeah, just yeah. choreograph like a, a play. And in the editing, I just mix that with like the actual real footage, so you can't really tell when it's choreographed or not. I feel like if you pay a lot of attention, you probably can, but uh, but I think it just adds clean. Because sometimes when you're just filming a, a real game, like the ball is just bouncing all over the place, and it's kind of hard to follow, really. And you, out of like 30 minutes of filming, you get like two or three minutes that are usable. Like watching Wimbledon. <laughs> hard to follow where the ball's going. <laughs> I was, I was trying to take offense to that, but when I thought about it, I thought it's probably fair, fair assessment from Miguel. <laughs> 
the the bits where the result of the match is also uh, important in terms of the plot. You have to choreograph those bits, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and some, uh, it was funny because, um, like, some of the teams were better than the actual team that's supposed to win the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, there was some of the times they were losing, it's like, no, you guys are supposed to win the tournament. Like, we have to Jersey's figure it out. Winning. Exactly. <laughs> was that bit of a competitive edge? Did you get a sense of that as you kind of opened? So, like, let's play 15 minutes. Was that competitive nature evident? Did you get a sense that after the players, obviously, they have a yeah. kind of sport and background, professional yeah. kind of background? Especially towards the last game. you were looking game. for that. I suppose you would have depended on that, yeah, were you? Absolutely. Especially towards the last game, I feel like. The, the main team uh, in the grand final, like we were just so fired out because we've been filming for like I don't know a month at that point. And so like the other team was just kind of like, just fresh and new, just came like very nonchalant to the plan. <laughs> These guys just like trample them the first half because they were just so riled up from the experience of like everything leading up to that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just one other question, I just had on filming it on an iPhone, like. Do you think that this is a trend? Like, I mean, it's obviously not uh, the first time this has happened. I mean, it's, it's happened in, in a lot of productions recently. But did you find any limitations with it? Or, or, or do you think to yourself, right, I'm, I'm excited for what I can do just with my phone over the next little while? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a lot of advantages. It was a process. The process started with really convincing myself that, that it made sense, that it, you could do it, that it wouldn't be like a laughing matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but once it's you get not, it's not a gimmick yeah it's not a gimmick exactly I mean there's definitely like budgetary concerns or reasons for t- to do it and if you're filming like for, with non-professional actors it helps you have a smaller camera because if you put a big camera in front of them they can get intimidated we filmed like, in a very open not very controlled locations so um, we have I mean everybody thought we were doing like a student film so we have like hundreds of extras for free and nobody's looking at the camera so and those things like really elevated the production value and like just the movement an agile crew all that stuff helped do you need to put lenses on it? Do you have to buy special lenses to make it look? You can. Like we try, we wanted to film initially with an anamorphic lens, but it was at that point the iPhone was so new, you can even, there wasn't even like the gadgets to to carry the lens. Right. Um, but you can you can film anamorphic. We put like some ND filters on it, which just to lower the light, and we filmed in a different application. I like the native app of the phone. It's called uh, Filmic Pro. And you can like you can film in logarithmic, which kind of desaturates the image, and that amplifies the dynamic range and gives you a little bit more control about the shutter speed and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the marriage of form and narrative and the functionality as a director, how do you kind of navigate this to make sure that at the same time, at the center of everything, while all this technology is cool and everything, you're still telling the story of a family and their recovery from a traumatic incident. Well, yeah, exactly. I feel like that's the key. Eventually, you just you just really need a really good story, which I feel like we had. Like, I was more comfortable in my skills as a screenwriter than as a director. I've just been long, doing it longer because it's easier to practice. <laughs> um, hmm. And and you realize just, like, the camera is just a tool. I mean, obviously, it's a very important tool because it's the visual language and it's the grammar and everything. But, like, the, I mean, these cameras are filmed, like, 4K, like... Th- 30 frames per second, like, you can film in slow motion at 60 frames per second. It's like, these cameras are better than, like, a professional camera from the 90s, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's like, like the visual aspect is, um, is, is sufficient enough. I mean, sometimes you run into problems when there's, like, uh, like night scenes, for example, because it has such, such a small sensor, it doesn't let a lot of light in. Right. So you always have to kind of over-illuminate just to have, like, a normal look, and that was, like, a process that we learned a little bit late. Um, but overall, you just realize that just story is story. Just it has it needs to have a plot. You need to be care about the characters, and the camera is just another tool. Can you explain to us how Adam McKay influenced the film? Well, Adam McKay's idea—it was his idea to shoot on iPhone. I was like, ah, oh, Adam. Adam's cup was kind of like my uh, 
he's kind of been my mentor since I met him when I when I moved to LA early on, and he was always just a champion of me and, and very encouraging. You know, when you're starting out in this kind of thing, and you're writing, you're you're writing for no one, and basically just writing because you, you have these dreams, but nobody really wants to read your material. You're not even good enough for. Uh, to be even considered, so it's just these little like animals always kept kept pushing me like oh you, you got it like just keep going keep going and it's just those little comments throughout the years that keep you keep you in this thing because I mean writing being the life as an artist is not not easy when you're starting out really yeah like because from his perspective it's it's really interesting that you know he has written some incredible stuff but he's also directed that incredible stuff and has managed to bring it to life in a very unique way that I don't think would be possible if somebody else just took a script and directed it so I presume that's kind of what you're thinking about when you write this thing you're like this is my baby I I know exactly how they should look absolutely I don't think I could ever direct uh, something that I didn't write or at least Mm. co-write I I don't even exactly know how that process would work it sounds so difficult because when you're writing it and then you go transition to directing you kind of know the story inside out. You know everybody's motivation. It just makes it so much more intuitive and easier. I feel like just, just uh, you know, some of the great directors, like a Fincher, for example, a David Fincher, who just is a director and will get somebody's script. I feel like it's so much more work and it's even more admirable in that way because I feel like it'd be more difficult. So in three years' time, when Marvel come calling, you're like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> well, like maybe they'll let me co-write it. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'll end up being like the best superhero movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, now that if you know you mentioned it, it's like I'm gonna put an asterisk. Next yeah, to your your right. agent is like, shh, Miguel. <laughs> What do you mean by um, Adam McKay being a mentor to you? How, how, how has that been, or what sort of work is it? Um, yeah, he's just always, I feel like it's just basically just encouragement. How did you meet him? Uh, it was like through a mutual friend. I had just moved to LA from New York, and I ended up like somehow at this, like I think like his house party or something. Right. And um, and I met him, yeah, I just met him, and we kind of hit it off, and he just kind of... Took me a little bit under his wing. It was during he was doing the distribution or the uh, the release of uh, the Big Short at the time, and I saw the movie and I was just kind of flabbergasted by how good it was. I mean, it really is. I think it's a, it's a masterpiece. And mm. and now that like, he's done Don't Look Up, I feel like he's just blown up so big. And and it's kind of exciting to now have this my tiny little film, which he suggested I should just shoot a knife because I had no money. Now be in Dublin at the same time that he just received an award. So, so I had dinner with him yesterday, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this happened." <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much sometimes, doesn't it? You probably ask the question thinking, "Oh, did he get really down technical and give you a huge direction in terms of what you need to be right. doing?" Miguel, you need to be doing this, that, the other. Sometimes it doesn't doesn't take that. It's just a, what Miguel says, just a little bit of encouragement, just to you know, simple, you know, just keep going. You know, you've yeah. got some good stuff here. You're talented. Keep pushing. That's all it takes sometimes. Exactly. That's all you need. Exactly. Exactly. That's all. I need. Yeah. You just, yeah. Being an artist when you're starting out, being an artist, such an abstract idea, especially like it's like film directing is just such a like abstract first world kind of ambition, and and you start through. I got into it through writing or screenwriting, so it's just it's just kind of very confusing to exactly know how you're going to get into the industry or where you should start or if, whether you're good enough or not it's just so personal and it's so much, it includes so much rejection that again as Kenny says just like these little just tidbits of encouragement and motivation really can carry you for years <laughs> yeah. yeah and there's a clear parallel between sports careers we were talking about that earlier on if somebody yeah, encouraged you to artists, shoot a bit more artists. <laughs> the artists of the ball yeah <laughs> Never quite bought into that. I've got to be honest with you. A footballer has been in, the, in that field of 
Irish. Well, I maybe think, that I was think there's maybe exceptions. Maybe that was, maybe if somebody George, tapped on the best, shoulder and said you can do this. Well, I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. Yeah. No, but it, but I, I feel like maybe the trajectory is a little bit the same where you just like it's also kind of like a, an ephemeral goal, you know, like it's kind of elusive. Everybody wants it. It's mm-hmm. kind of winning the lottery. You kind of make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a bit uncomfortable with the tag of great artist. You know, it's never sat comfortably yeah. on my shoulders, Miguel. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on on untapped potential, I think Kenny is the the theme of today's show. The the movie screens tonight at the Lighthouse Cinema uh, at 6pm it's called Vapor Diego and we're going to tweet a link to where you can buy tickets for it we wish you the very best of luck with it do, do you know what's next or is there an immediate plan for where the show where the movie screens next uh, uh, well now like now this agency kind of acquired the film so right. like they do the distribution now and so I just kind of do recommendations and I think uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see exactly where they position the next there's definitely going to be like a, a release in Mexico no, the agency is in in Spain. Right, and will there eventually be a release in Mexico? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully, like, it'll go to like a major streaming platform or something like that. But that's just now it's such a complicated process. The process of selling a movie, like, it's just <laughs> much better than somebody really? else. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I, I uh, that, will, that will kill the sense of art. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's already a little bit like just the post production process of this film was brutal. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, but I mean, you've come through it the other side, and um, you've got something to be really proud of. So yeah, we wish you the very best of luck with the text. Could I just ask the after show party? To, was there any information far <laughs> coming for you? Yeah, for you I can't make the I'm working, but afterwards, post. You have to go to the screening to go to the after party. It's kind of the condition. <laughs> so we're hoping to see you there. <laughs> Miguel, good stuff. Thanks list. a million. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors.